0: What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. You guys really like the first one that we dropped a month ago, so we decided to get back in the studio, the digital studio, to record another conversation about the great reset, the great monetary reset. Back with your boy, Laser Hoddle. Big rip. Sorry it's a little late. I was supposed to get it out in this morning, but the, the files have been, I've been I already recorded these ads earlier, and somehow. I lost them, so now I'm re-recording them. Thank you for, for sticking around. This trip was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App is so you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, and sell sats, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 because sats are the standard. You want to buy a whole Bitcoin, you don't have to buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can stack whole sats instead. Cash App makes it very easy you can buy daily weekly bi-weekly automatically dca set a set amount and it just you said didn't forget it on top of that cash app can be your bank account they're offering account numbers and routing numbers You get your paychecks direct deposited into the app and you get your your cash card which is accepted anywhere Visa's accepted and it comes with the boost program and i uh, actually have some actionable uh, anecdotal evidence that it works last night i went to dinner paid the tab using my cash card with my bitcoin cashback boost at restaurants enabled and i got 10,098 sats for eating dinner paying with my cash card it was a beautiful thing if you haven't downloaded the app make sure you do so by using the code stacking sats that's s-t-a-c-k-i-n-g-s-a-t-s you're going to get ten dollars and ten dollars going to go to our good friends at owls lacrosse that's owls lacrosse owls lacrosse this trip was also brought to you by our good friends at compass mining compass mining is here to help distribute further distribute the ownership of hash rate to get asics in more hands of individuals the way you do this you go to compassmining.io c o m p a s s m i n i n c-o-m-p-a-s-s-m-i-n-i-n-g dot i-o you're going to be able to buy asics there you pick a model you pay for it and it's your asic you can have compass send it to you they'll they'll send it to your home you if you have The correct electrical infrastructure and cheap enough electricity costs, you can plug it in as you see fit. However, if your residential electricity is a bit more expensive than you'd like to mine with, Compass is also working to line up hosting facility deals at competitive electricity costs for you freaks, for Compass users. So if you get the miner, you pick a hosting facility, Compass will get that miner. Send it to that hosting facility, have it plugged in, and have it start streaming sats to an address of your choice. It's a beautiful thing. Again, trying to help distribute the network even more by distributing network hash power between more individuals. Hash power ownership, specifically. It's a great thing. Go check them out, compassmining.io. We have a special link in the show notes. If you guys would like to contribute uh, that way, you can do that. Contribute to the show that way by using that link, if you're thinking about using Compass. This trip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains is the company behind Slush Pool, the oldest running mining pool in the world, founded in 2010 with over 1.25 million Bitcoin mined in its lifetime. Brains has been operating Slush Pool since 2013, and they're always working on improvements, such as the big upgrade they did earlier this summer, which includes ultra-flexible... Pe- <coughs> Ultra flexible payouts that can either be time based or threshold based, mining reward splitting for automatically distributing rewards to multiple wallets, and of course, dark theme. Brains is a Bitcoiner company through and through, and they're working on some of the most unique and cutting edge projects in the mining industry, including Brains OS Plus, their auto-tuning firmware, and Stratum v2, which is a new mining pool protocol that would help decentralize the mining pool layer a bit more. And they're hiring. This is a upper echelon team to join. Imagine being able to tell your parents, hey, I work at Brains. We're building some of the coolest shit in the mining industry. Make Papa Proud. If you're a Rust developer, systems programmer, or if you have experience with embedded devices, there may be a place for you to join the team at Brains. Check out brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com slash careers to see open options and submit an application. As for the big question, when, what's miner? The answer is still soon, TM, but the team is making steady progress and The Brains OS Plus firmware is running smoothly on some machines in the Brains offices. We have confirmation that it's on some machines on What's Miner's. This is beautiful. Meanwhile, Jan, who was on TFTC episode 73 with Pavel, if you guys want to go check that out, uh, the Brains co-founder, co-founders, Jan has been grinding away at adding support for the Antminer X19 generation, and that is progressing very well. They have uh, some machines in private testing. Just imagine a stage above where uh, for a stage further along than the what's minor that means at least some models from the x19 generation will be supported before what's Miners, but no exact eta on a public release <coughs> is being provided at this moment currently supported devices are the minor s9 s9i s9j as well as the s17 s17 plus s17+, s17 pro t17 t17 plus and the ones added this summer the s17e and t17e psa <coughs> if you're using brains os plus firmware you do not have to point your hash at slush Pool. You can point your hash anywhere you want. There's a misconception that if you download the BrainsOS Plus firmware, it is only compatible with slush Pool. This is not the case. You can point at any pool that you would like. However, if you do put point your hash at SlushPool while using the BrainsOS Plus firmware, you're going to get 0% pool fees. A nice little dig there. If you want to get unique insights on, Bit, on the Bitcoin mining industry along with updates on the BrainsOS Plus firmware stratum v2 and other brains projects check out brains blog at brains.com slash blog and follow the lesser known brains underscore systems twitter account where the incredible team from brains is posting deep dive threads on various mining topics but check them out and enjoy rip number two with laser hodl it's not going to be the last rip either we we certainly have at least one more to record which i'm excited for and i think you guys are excited for this episode so go enjoy it take care Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce. All right. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here sitting down at noon on Wednesday, September 1st, first of the month. Sitting back down with the, with the gentleman. I think you, you, you freaks are going to be happy to hear from again here with Laser Hoddle, whose first episode uh, that we dropped a few weeks ago has really struck a nerve With a lot of people. It's the most downloaded episode we've had in quite some time here at Tales from the Crypt. And due to the response from everybody who heard that first episode, Laser reached down. So let's do another one. Let's keep growing on this. So here we are. Laser, how are you?
1: Hey, to be back on the pod. I wanted to thank the freaks. The uh, response I got that we got from the last pod was overwhelming. Um, the the basic idea of zooming out and, and viewing the last two years through the lens of monetary reset has helped people break the fear spell, so that they can start action in their own lives and start um, raising the cost on tyranny, um, so they could become expensive to tyranny and. And uh, we received tons of feedback, tons of questions, and that's what provoked this follow-up. We have a lot to touch on, and I think um, the plebs and the freaks are gonna find it really interesting.
0: I do as well. I do as well. And a lot has happened since we we last spoke. Obviously, we've had everything going on in Afghanistan. There's a pullout there. Um, Vaccination passports become more common. Booster shots become mandated. The Malthusian fear spells seem to be getting louder and more diverse, if you will. Uh, terrorism seems to be back on on the table um, since we last spoke. Uh, how should we start? Recap of the first episode, and then going from there. You have, I was going, <laughs> and just thinking like a topic list half hour ago trying to write something down and then you hopped in our chat and you have an extensive list of things to go through where should we start
1: well i think let's do a small recap of the thesis so that we can catch people up to you know connect the first pod to this one and then we'll discuss all the things that have happened since because even though it's only been a handful of weeks um things are moving quickly and so we need to Factor those events into the thesis and and calibrate it and make sure that it's still properly honed uh, so that we're acting correctly. Um, and so what what is the thesis that I laid out in the first pod and I, I think it could be described as. Um, well. You have. The. Malthusian elite, the the people that defend money printing um, taking advantage of this uh, large debt cycle, Uh, you can call it a a long cycle. Um, And what they're doing is they're creating a mass fear event um, in order to execute a controlled demolition of the current monetary order they recognize that the debt cycle is going to turn over whether they do a controlled demolition or not, but doing a controlled demolition allows them to um, bring things down in such a way that gives them a leg up in monetary reset. Meaning if I had a narrative for how I want the next long cycle to look, I could go into monetary reset and point to the way that the current long cycle fell down and say, you know, huh? Um, and and ideally, I could go in unobstructed, meaning I'm the only one with narrative in hand. And of course, that's what we, we see with the World Economic Forum with their great reset narrative. They want to, you know, when, when the nation states of the monetary order of the world come together, they want to have the most um, momentum and oomph behind their narrative so that the world sort of agrees, okay, that's what the next long cycle is going to be based on. And of course, for average people, for citizens, that's extremely uncomfortable because in monetary reset, we're all just cannon fodder, right? We're all just, um, uh, you know, pieces on the board. Um, And and so that's kind of how I laid it out before. and, And, you know, we ended on... Tying in the piece from China, which is to say, a lot of the Great Reset seems to be inspired, you know, it's not science fiction per se. Most of it is inspired, but what about uh, the, the shape of um, the authoritarianism in China uh, today, right? So China is a, um, it, it's, from, from the citizen's point of view, it's kind of a social scoring communism. So in the in the front end, it's it's a social scoring communism, which is to say, the law is kind of um, your social score, and that's kind of your god too. Um, and in the back end, it's kind of a um, high tech fascism. What I mean by that is that the government's partnered with these various barons of industry, these these uh, companies, in order to. Um, uh, drive an instrument, um, the, the panopticon. And so that was the basic thesis. It, it was that, okay, it looks a lot like the governments of the West have joined arms to import the flavor of authoritarianism that China has to the rest of the West, um, using COVID as a um, a conduit, um, garbing it in um, uh, social justice, right? So it's 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 a feel-good version of of China's panoptic totalitarianism, and of course, COVID is really critical because, um, as the ABCs learned, trauma is the master key if you want to change society you need a trauma event that will trigger society to huddle um, under authority huddle under the state and wait for directions and so trauma is acting as the master key in this critical moment as the debt cycle is turning over and then of course monetary reset is is the door that they're unlocking Um, and so it was a a mammoth of a pod but that's where we ended
0: and many things to touch on here, but I think uh with that lens, again, it was a new lens for me that uh, to zoom out. And obviously the conversations leading up to the recording of that podcast was like, Hey Marty, like stop focusing on ESG, zoom out, look at the broader picture. And since then, viewing everything that's happened through that lens has been extremely helpful. I mean, just what was it earlier this week, last week, Justin Trudeau coming and saying we're gonna respond, we're gonna use the COVID response. That we've employed here in Canada over the last eighteen months, and apply that to cl- the climate crisis too, which, right. is like, which yeah. is like- everything we learned
1: in COVID. We're going to use uh, for climate, right? So that and, and you could translate that. The fear spell for COVID was so potent and so. Um, useful in alleviating us of societal norms that we're going to use a similar fear spell to continue our agenda through climate.
0: Yeah. And, and like having that zoomed out view of everything and seeing that now it's, it's like, you can see through the matrix. It's like, Oh my gosh, they are that brash. that They would think that people are dumb enough to think that you can apply the like. a a virus spreading will come with the same responses that uh, climate change so it it literally doesn't make sense when you hear it at face value Uh,
1: well it's everywhere too um so in in the u.s at least the the cdc was able to declare a rent moratorium right and so people cheered that on because well great i don't have to pay rent and The question is, is do they even have the authority to do that? And well, the courts didn't seem to. um, So far, they've allowed it to continue. And what's funny is now that they've done that is the the new thing is the CDC is starting to weigh in on gun violence to say, oh, there's a gun epidemic. There's there's um, so you can see a, a theme, which is to say it was so useful to use COVID as a fear spell, we're going to apply the same formula, the same language even, to the next um, uh, uh, pillar on the agenda. And, and so Trudeau saying climate, the CDC saying gun violence. You start to get a picture of where this is going. Um, speaking on gun violence, um, you know, there, there's also, we, we can't really, go forward without talking about Afghanistan too much because there seems to be a very um, clever sleight of hand going on with narrative which is to you know say that um, well, to put it as frankly as I can, the source of you know there's a commonality between, anti-maskers and a commonality between um, gun violence and a commonality between people who aren't willing to go along with these Malthusian uh, fear spells and that is uh, they're all white according to this narrative and of course this is really concerning it's if you zoom out even a little what you can see is the security state seems to be wrapping up in Afghanistan and moving on to a new war and that looks a little like a war on conservatives but the proxy is just white people because it's very easy villain to create um and so we're seeing now cdc saying oh it's a gun epidemic and this is the the uh agency that was able to make um you know fiat rule during the pandemic in regards to to rent, so um, that's concerning. You see the um, ATF hire from the Biden admin is very concerning. Um, you see the narrative being pumped by ABCs saying, um, uh, you know, be on the lookout for people who think that the election was stolen, or, or or this this demonization of all the characteristics of conservatives, and and then the proxy as let's just make this a white people thing. Um, so, you know, the, the fear spell spell is seems to be evolving, graduating, moving forward to the next chapter, and um, it's very vivid and apparent if you follow um, the narratives being uh, espoused by the Malthusian wizards themselves.
0: Yeah, and I think we you just described, they like demonizing. Uh, conservatives but using whiteness as a proxy from which to attack them so you don't come off as too partisan which is odd to think of in and of itself but again climate too seem at least to me climate seems like the next big one uh again we had trudeau uh with his comments within the last week uh you had the whatever they're called aoc Rashida Taleb and the other representatives that that are on the House Finance Committee urging the Federal Reserve to uh, fix the climate via their monetary policy, which doesn't really make any sense. And then now that we're talking about this, too, like, which really makes me wonder, like, how coordinated is this is if you go back to like last summer, I believe it was Project Veritas, maybe it was even earlier this year. Uh, where they caught that, that CNN um, producer who said, yeah, we're going to go from Trump and the election and COVID to, to climate next climate. It's the next, the next focus of, of what we're going to lean into. Um, what, yeah. are, what are your thoughts on the, Like the posturing from these different entities?
1: Well, I mean, a lot hinges on who exactly, you know, where the, what is the source of the narrative industrial complex and, and, for me, my best guess is that narrative industrial complex and the ABCs are intrinsically linked and that they both are servants to those who defend uh, the Cantillon effect, who defend printing, uh, who reset money printing. So, you know, a very potent signal for this is why do all the nations of the West seem to be uh, colluding and executing the Great Reset together? Um, And to me, that just is a strong signal that indicates there's a center, there is a they, um, or at least such strong incentives at, the, you know, gushing forward from the fountain of the cantalon effect that it creates this concert of what appears to be collusion. And so narratives fit together really well in that they ensure the people, that the people that would prevent the Great Reset from moving forward are made the enemy um, in the eyes of the, you know, society, in the eyes of, of, of the common person who's not really aware of what's going on. They're kind of in this hailstorm of, of trauma, right? And so I think that's the, the goal is to ensure that that person, you know, the, 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 the soon-to-be serf, that that person knows who the enemy is and who to not imitate and who to avoid, and and if the time comes, who to you know turn you know uh, look the other way if they are um, made political uh, collateral damage.
0: yeah, so sort of just conditioning people to recognize the other, which they're uh, expected to attack uh, as we transition to this monetary reset.
1: I think so. I mean, and not to you know this this the would-be surf is not is having a rough time too because since we talked last time um israel uh updated their green pass program and what they're saying is is that okay you know you got your vaccine and you got your your second vaccine and we're the most vaccinated country in the world and you got your green pass, that means that we gave you your rights back in this limited form where you can travel, you know, you can leave your house and you can go shopping. Um, But now they're saying that uh, after six months that green pass expires and so you need to get a booster, which is to say, you know, they are now on a permanent booster train and they need to take boosters every six months in order to keep their rights. And who knows if that goes to
0: four months. Right. So it's already been dropped to five, hasn't it? some recommendations.
1: And I've heard speculation that the, the target is four times a year uh, is what they want. And of course this raises, um, a bunch of questions, um, which is, you know, a few that just come off the top. of My mind is, um, how many boosters can one possibly take you know can can you take 3 years of them can you take four you know how many boosters can a body take until um uh, there's there's notable noticeable issues and when you get the boosters is it just as dangerous as when you got the vaccine or 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 do you actually become does your body become used to the the type of side effects we see with people just getting the vaccine so of course there is a ton of um questions which we don't have answers to of course it is an experiment and, and we only can speculate as to the long term um side effects but these people are are have wandered into um essentially a medical kind of prison where you know there's either they continue taking these shots um or they are uh, um, exiled
0: basically oh. It's interesting on on multiple fronts, so just observationally conversations I've had with good friends, family members who got vaccinated, got two doses, and have heard it from three separate groups, family friends and work associates, three individuals separately saying i got I thought I was doing my part, I got the vaccination, I got dose one, dose two. I will not be getting any boosters. I, I, I did my part. We were supposed to go back to normal. So there is this, at least with some, obviously this is anecdotal data, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, a common uh, thought between many people who were vaccinated and just did it to, to get back to work and get things back to normal. They, they seem a little perturbed that now they're being forced to take another booster, uh, a booster, and then potentially more down the line. It doesn't sit well with at least some of the people that I've spoken with that, that have been vaccinated. And then on top of that, like there's this, like the people, they, whoever is coordinating this, that will say big pharma, they can't even define whether or not it's like a booster shot or just like another part of vaccine therapy, if you will, just like the third part of the the vaccine. Like They're, they're trying to on the go define whether this is a booster or part of, the holistic COVID vaccine, if you will. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. You could imagine the horror if you just said, you know what, I don't have enough fight in me to draw a line in the sand on the vaccine. I'll just get it. So society can move on with our, you know, move on with our lives and then to see and, and witness that, oh, wait a second, this is permanent and the boosters are whenever they say they are. And then also to see the data, places like Israel where it's the highest uptake of vaccines in the world and their cases are exploding. And so-
0: Not only exploding, hitting all-time highs.
1: All-time highs, going parabolic. And so, you know, even if you were- partially on board with the whole thing before, you, you know, you've got some hard questions and things that really don't add up. And so I imagine there's a deep fear that's starting to seat in the, uh, the stomachs of many of the people who went along with this. Um, and then you look to USA and Canada and Australia, and they're also signaling boosters, which um, I wonder if that's a logistical error before you've rolled out the program and the green pass, you're kind of telling people, FYI, uh, it's temporary. You get your rights back temporarily. I think that might be a logistical error and that it might cause more people to realize what's going on here and and be on the side of, no, no, I'm not going to go down that road.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an error that, that started last year. Right With the Trump administration, we're going to get the vaccine. We're going to get back to normal. First, it was two weeks to flatten the curve. I mean, how much, <laughs> how many, uh, how many, it's like checkpoints can people have put in front of them, reached and then the checkpoint just moved further out before they're like, all right, what the hell's going on? Two weeks to flatten the curve. Uh, we're going to shut down the economy for six months until the vaccine gets here. Vaccine's here. All right. Two doses. uh, All right the efficacy isn't as good as we thought boosters after that. and So that, I think that logistical error was, was put in motion well before um, these boosters even became a thing. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in Trump, whether you want to believe he was in on all this or uh, simply foolish and, and, and stepped in, you know, stepped up to his knee in a pile of mud. Um, he did give the whole grift um, uh, validity in, in, in supporting in the lockdowns and uh, Operation Orb Speed. So making sure that these uh, vaccine companies got immunity. Um, I, I, I think there's a, a strong signal that supports that he's actually not part of, it's not controlled opposition in that, um, if you, if you had to uh, rig an election in order to get him out, I think that that probably is enough to suggest that he's not ideal or, or certainly not part of it, but he did seem to walk into the trap of the vaccines and the lockdowns. Um, when I zoom out on Trump, I think, you know, the overwhelming utility of allowing Bitcoin to grow deeper roots within the financial community in the United States um, is a massive net positive. And, um, although I'm not like to forget the vaccine stuff. Um, I think that that's, he really, you know, played into that. Um, but now after much red team, blue team, you know, these sides fighting with each other for months now and demonization of the people who aren't going along with vaccines, aren't wearing masks who are done. Um, a study comes out of, israel that shows that natural immunity is stronger and not a little bit i think it's 1300 percent, so 13x more um, you get 13x uh more durability in natural antibodies and of course that makes perfect sense um you know our immune systems were developed over millions of years right so it makes sense that as you come in contact with um, pathogens that your body would be more able to deal with them the next go round, even if they were variants. That makes perfect logical sense. Um, What is a surprise out of that is that the people that are taking um, vaccines seem to be less equipped to deal with the the variants. And that suggests that we might be seeing some antibody um, deferred enhancement uh, occurring, which is to say, the vaccines might actually be accelerating the evolution of the virus, and and of course that's uh, supremely uh, concerning.
0: And we've had evidence of this ADE uh, phenomena happen with pe- vaccines in the past, I believe. Um, now, what is it? R- RSV or something like that, another respiratory disease. They tried to create a vaccine for that, for children, um, and had a similar, the variants kept mutating, and, and, um, and the vaccinated children were more susceptible to the variants, and they weren't getting weaker, weaker over time. They were getting more virulent, which is a very scary situation to think about, especially if it is true in the case of these COVID vaccines, considering just how much of the planet has, has received the jab already at this point.
1: And of course it's still early, you know, we can't say much for sure. And so you have to keep that posture, but the signals of um, ADE in, in vaccinated folks um, and the studies that suggest that it also becomes more virulent for unvaccinated folks. It, if, if that becomes a, a feedback loop that keeps playing out, of course it's, it's um, something to watch very closely. Um, uh, but, if, but if you zoom out and you just take these signals in whole and you say, okay, um, the, the green pass countries that are um, signaling that boosters are gonna be required regardless of the data that suggests that natural immunity is completely sufficient. And then you have countries, Western countries, parroting that, that, essentially suggesting that they'll be adopting similar programs. I think that that might backfire and that it might actually wake people up a little bit more. Um, part of the problem with the Great Reset is they need to roll out this program all over the world. But as they're doing so, people are getting glimpses and glances at data points that are that don't add up. And they're starting to get suspicious. So because you can't roll it out atomically in one single instance, you have to attack each country um, in a very uh, tailored way that makes sense for that country. That means that these are happening at different points in different countries. And so as long as you're awake, you're paying attention, you can see uh, where they're making mistakes. You can see where there are problems.
0: And you can see... <clears throat> that they don't like people pointing this out too i mean just this week we had alex berenson taken off of twitter for for highlighting what's going on in israel um particularly around the potential for ade uh, of vaccinated individuals and and the superiority of natural immunity um it's there i mean she's ever in control of twitter doesn't want that information getting out there
1: yeah, absolutely. The censorship is getting turned up. Um, the truth is getting harder to grasp at. Um, but the censorship in itself is a useful signal. And you can keep an eye on it and understand um, how right people were. Um, so if people sounding the alarm on various things about COVID are being silenced, well, that's a fairly good signal that they were over target. Um, and I think that that is probably net positive. Um, because it helps more people who are on the fence, who have a, a kind of worried feeling in their stomach. They're not, they're questioning things. It helps them realize uh, how deep this goes.
0: Yeah. And then on top of that, um, it helps force people to do some of the things that you've been preaching, which is basically unplug and uh, make yourself sovereign from the system, uh, these systems in one way. One system to make yourself more sovereign from is these information uh, communication systems, Twitter being one of them. So now that you force Alex Berenson off, uh, and now he can only post content at Substack, which right now is posturing to respect free speech, uh, it forces people to go consume content there. Uh, and now that they're implementing Bitcoin payments on Substack as well. But eventually that'll get pushed to, uh, I think, Substack will. Sensor and it will just force individuals like Alex Berenson to go to a stack that isn't Substack and Open Node, but maybe Ghost. Uh, org as a CMS that you can <clears throat> that you can uh, host for yourself plus BTC Pay server. So like, they're, uh, people want this information so much that they're willing to follow it. I know I've been reading and contributing to Alex's Substack since he got kicked off Twitter, um, and, and then there again there's a lot of missteps from the individuals putting out these malthusian fear spells because uh, they're essentially forcing people into uh, tech that that will allow us to coordinate even even better um once things do really get hairy
1: yeah it's almost like they're they're getting ahead of themselves
0: in terms
1: of being um elated with their own that they're committing tyranny that they don't actually have the lever for yet. And so what that's doing is it's, it's forcing um, the signal, which the signal, and especially in the context of the internet, um, the signal will find. And so if you say, okay, well, you can't do this on Twitter, well, you're gonna end up on Substack. And if you go ring the founders of Substack's net, okay, okay well, you can't do this on Substack, then they're gonna end up self-hosting and if you go to the, uh, the, uh, uh, the consortium on DNS and you say, okay, well, we need the ability to turn off domains. Well, then you're going to end up with a decentralized uh, name server and et cetera, et cetera. You only serve to create an unstoppable internet for each choke point you go censor. Um, and so, so long as there is adamant reporters and technologists who... Uh, will not allow the signal to be squashed, then uh, what will emerge from that is an unstoppable uh, internet. In the same way that we have unstoppable money with Bitcoin, you could imagine other parts of society um, uh, being engineered such that there is no choke point, there is no central point of failure. Um, Part of what I think is happening with Twitter, and, and I know this from working in Silicon Valley working in big tech for a decade plus is that, um, so Jack may be freedom minded. He might actually believe in in the idea of an uncensorable uh, social platform like Twitter, but in the same way that Bitcoin space has an immune reaction to scam artists who try and take advantage of politeness you know, Bitcoin. the Bitcoin space has toxic maximalism, which is essentially toxicity to uh, con artists, right? Like reject the, the, the ploy of using politeness and just completely um, evict the actor. Um, well, in the same way the Bitcoin space has that, Silicon Valley has the inverse of that, which is a sort of safe space maximalism. And so Jack, if he's freedom minded, he's surrounded by safe space maximalists and founder or not, he wouldn't be able to um, create through consensus, just social consensus within his company, support um, for the idea that all speech of of any sort should be um, uncensorable. And so his only lever is to play the long game. It's to say, okay. And who knows who's actually applying pressure to Jack. It might be his own employees, as you see with, with Google and various other big companies where these woke employees basically um, uh, band together to, to um, demand that um, you know uh, their safe space maximalism is uh, realized. Or it could even be someone in the ABC, someone from the government with a gag order saying, actually, you need to do this it's national security what have you and and the moral of the story is the the reason i think that that might be true is because what you would expect to see if that was true would be jack basically playing along going along with it and then reacting to it in a way that created an architecture that had no choke point that had no person to um to uh, apply pressure to and I think that might be what we're seeing with Jack. I think we're seeing this, is it sky blue? Blue blue sky. There you go. So I think we might be seeing him saying, well, look, there's nothing wrong with me funding an engineering initiative that took the most critical part of Twitter, the data, and put it out of our own hands. And, you know, give users the inverse. If they want to create their own safe space, then give them filters and controls. They can make their own safe space, but they can't um, they can't submit others to their safe space. And that's exactly his vision with with Blue Sky. Um, so, so I think that that viewpoint is a very, that kind of approach is very salient. It's very good. You could imagine using that in all contexts in, in social media. But, um, you know, the, the thing I, I, I mean to point out here is that Jack might actually be freedom minded. These companies might be freedom minded, but that doesn't change if you have ABCs knocking on your door with court orders. And it doesn't change if your own employees are not freedom maximalists, they might be safe space maximalists, and they might be, you know, around you with pitchforks every day threatening to walk out. Um, And so really, if we're at this point in history, where we're choosing either permanent, you know, kind of safe space uh, uh, imprisonment versus uh, the signal finding a way i think all these efforts will serve to create a path for the signal to get out and i think that means decentralization and so the example of twitter i think that implies applies everywhere so long as there's people that care to guard the signal and ensure there's a way safe harbor for ideas then you will have this technology Um, emerge and it's up to us to self-select to vote with our feet digitally and say you know what i'm going to use uh i'm going to opt out of the the safe space maximalism and and move towards freedom maximalism
0: yeah no i agree I i think the description of of jack being a freedom lover and signaling that via not only blue sky but what he's trying to do with bitcoin and square crypto and I think he has more control over Square than he does Twitter at this point and uh, tries to espouse his, his, his penchant for, to, to actually want freedom at the end of the day via these, these products, whether it be the funding of the open source Bitcoin hardware wallet, the open source DeFi platform they're looking to build, the funding of open source devs, um, and then spinning up Blue Sky as well. Anything that's signaling, I think, if you understand the history of Twitter, particularly how activist investors really control that board and have controlled the company for some time now, I think he uses those mechanisms to signal, like, hey, I get, I get why everybody's pissed at me. And I, I mean, obviously, disclaimer: Square's is the sponsor of the podcast, and um, have had Jack on, uh, and have talked to Jack in the past, but like, I, I think. Even with all that being said, like objectively looking at this personally, separating myself from those relationships, like I think what you just described is probably true.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I like Jack. We worked in the same town, in the same industry, and, and, but I, I have plenty of, of issues with, with Jack and Twitter and Square, um, but I, I recognize the environment. It, it's it's not it's not merely enough. It's to bring your ideal, ideology in battle with um, a majority that it has opposite shaped ideology. Um, it's better to be um, cunning. It's better to think long term and say, okay, well, how you know how could I place the how could I place us outside of both of our hands where no none of us can control it, but still give the user control. I I, I respect that, and so. Um, like I think my stances on Jack is I I think I like long term Jack like what I what I believe long term Jack to be, and then I see that short term Jack has to make lots of concessions and and I I think the best I can do is say I I, I think I understand why that would be, um, you know you could you could take the same kind of view and apply it to uh, Sailor and say, okay, my my trust for Michael Sailor I think it's in long term Sailor like when I hear him talk about. Uh, Bitcoin and and he fundamentally understands what it does for the individual what it does for mankind um, and and long-term sailor seems to always be on point he resonates he and, and, and um, the Bitcoin space uh, embraces him for that short-term sailor is mired in situation like we all are he's surrounded by not freedom maximalists. he's surrounded by people that um, that uh, you know maybe they're safe space maximalists maybe they're at least they're they're connected to government in such um, uh, a, a partnership that you know whether they want to or not they're being um, uh, steered into the great reset and I say things like you know like like BlackRock right Larry Fink certainly um, and BlackRock acts on behalf of the Federal Reserve making purchases with the money purchasing um, uh, real estate you might you know one could look at that and 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 argue that. They're nationalizing housing, making everything government housing. They're doing that at the behest of the Federal Reserve. They're not acting alone. And uh, BlackRock, of course, owns a huge chunk of uh, Tesla and they own a large chunk of MicroStrategy. So, you know, you could take the same sort of thoughtful view of Jack and say, you know, Saylor might be ideologically um, true and long term sailor is, is steering things in, in a freedom direction. But short term sailor is a, he's amongst uh, and, and, and fully within uh, his environment, just like Jack. And so I think that's probably the best way to approach, um, you know. And it, it, consequentially, I think it's one of the reasons we sacrifice uh, Bitcoin here, is that we're unable to. We're unable to handle um, or separate or be thoughtful to the difference between long-term ambitions and ideology and then short-term constraints and reality, right? Anyone who's in the real world has real success, who has, who has real influence in the real world is completely enveloped in constraints of the real world. Uh, their network is of people of various Ideologies, and so I think if you want to judge them, you judge them by their hearts. And and usually, I mean, in in my um, view, it's it's you judge them based on their long term uh, 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 speaking, and and that's the truest thing coming from their heart.
0: Agreed. And I think bringing up Larry Fink—that's actually—I'm happy that you did because that was another thing that happened between the first time we recorded in today and uh, highlights exactly what you just pointed out like focus on people's long-term views and and larry Fink came out and he wants to open up the u.s capital markets to institutional investors to start investing in publicly traded chinese companies on the chinese stock market like see what he wants to interconnect the united states and china's capital markets even even more aggressively. And that's something that he came out and said, uh, within the last few weeks. And I think highlights where his goal is long-term, um, sort of. Try-
1: yeah. yeah. Larry thinks part of the world economic forum. So he attends and has gone through the thought exercises and the brainstorming and the practices for the fourth industrial revolution, which is essentially what the great reset tries to unlock. And it's, it's very much a safe space maximalism society. And, and he's on record, uh, video even, saying that um, big monies, uh, large corporations, are not, fan- they don't want free markets. They want, uh, they, they, they want totalitarianism. They want order as provided by the government, financial order. And um, so, yeah, this gives, it starts to give you a sense of what he's after, what, what his long term thinking is. And so, um, of course, that makes people question because, okay, if BlackRock, you know, has big chunks of of uh, Tesla, does that describe a little bit of what we see with how Elon has acted? Right? Is is Fink in the boardroom telling Musk, "Hey, this is what's coming down the pipeline," and you know, uh, ESGs are coming, and so we should maybe act in this way for a bit and is the same true with sailors think in the boardroom with sailors saying hey this is coming down the pipeline why don't you spring this on the bitcoin space as if it was your idea um it's hard to say what i all i can do is is judge intent by long-term thinking long-term speaking and and place their hearts um based on that and and so um it my in my mind you have like a a Jack and a sailor are both pure long-term thinking they're, they're truth minded, they're freedom minded. And that, that was my read, but they're in a real, you know, in, in an environment, in a community, in an industry um, of a majority um, of, of people who are, you know, it might be tongue in cheek to say their, their status, um, but they're, they're very state minded. They, they enjoy the structure that the state gives them and, and the, um, uh, the privilege the state sort of awards them and and, and they certainly uh, buy into kind of the safe space maximalism that it's it's no, we don't want dangerous freedom. we want safe uh, safe uh, structure
0: <laughs> yeah. right Yeah, uh, not ambiguity but uncertainty. we, want, we just want certain I like think we talked about last in the first episode like people just <laughs> begging for for stability and certainty of how things. Uh, are going to be structured and how, how one should act within a certain, uh, circumstance and, and system.
1: Now in the last, uh, pod, I, I described the Overton window as saying, you know, Hey, sailor can't come within a hundred yards of the Overton window. And, um, I actually have to correct the definition of that. Um, What's within the Overton window is not politically incorrect like I suggested in the last pod. Actually what's inside the Overton window is all the range of topics that are politically correct. Um, And so what I should have said is Saylor is in his professional capacity, certainly confined to staying within the Overton window and he cannot leave it. And so, I should inverse the way that I speak about that and I'll, and I'll do that from now. In fact, um, part of the reason the Overton window is so critical is it's a very, um, it's a very important thing to measure when you put forward a thesis because if you are outside of the Overton window, you're politically incorrect. You can be uh, your, your thesis can be discredited easily. Um, people can set you aside as a political like a dissident or, or even extremist um, and, and that may, yeah paranoid. And so if you're an academic and intellectual and your goal is to have a ma- maximize the effect of your thesis, then what you want to do is stay within the opportune window. But of course, you want to use precise speech and thoughtful discussion to expand it so that people's horizons are expanded, they can consider more um, within the context of what is viable, what is reality. And so that's why I'm careful to, for example, keep most of the thesis secular. Um, Of course, I'm a Christian, Uh, I'm a new Christian, I was atheist before I went down the rabbit hole, but I recognize that if I want to maximize the efficacy of the thesis, then I should I should keep it grounded in secularism. Now, that being said, of course I can connect it to Christianity because I think when you get deeper into questions as to why things are happening, um, that's where you start grasping at straws. But I I view that as an aside conversation. I don't view it as part of the thesis. And I think who perfectly illustrates um, the Overton window being used is a character like an Alex Jones. So Alex Jones um, says a lot of things that ends up being true and that gives him a, a large cult following of people who say he's always right because he's, he has a thesis that's, that seems to be hitting the mark over and over. Um, people have that joke about the, the tip jar or the Alex Jones uh, jar that's overflowing because you put a, um, a coin in there every time he's right. Um, Now, there's a problem with Alex and the people that follow him. And you could even say Q is part of this or even Trumpers to some extent. Um, What happens when you become too strident of a follower of these movements is you garb yourself in the costume of someone who is outside of the Overton window. And so you've painted yourself as um, someone who no longer has credibility in in the general um conversation of of society
0: yeah no i i think i mean i experienced this myself uh last week on the way to the airport and got an uber ride um and the driver a funny man from delco right outside of philadelphia he had to be In his late 50s, early 60s, around retirement age, and he was trying to, quote-unquote, awaken me, uh, making me aware of all the the Q theories and stuff like that, which I've obviously, uh, (laughs) uh, following the topics that I do and and trying to stay on top of all the narratives that are going around, obviously know what's going on, um, or at least understand part of the um, uh, themes of the Q movement and what some of the uh, promises of that movement are and just hearing and i played dumb during the whole ride it was an hour 20 minute ride to the airport and it was literally him just trying to quote unquote awaken me and just listening to it, it was like you're directionally right but you sound crazy he was like in three weeks the internet's going to be shut off uh, the power grids are going to go down and then they're going to go off for 48 hours they're going to turn back on we're going to have these tesla coils and, and a new like 5g internet uh, and that new or that gold back currency too I just like oh my gosh dude like uh, that pushing people that far away from the Overton window it right. dilutes like you like exactly what you're trying to explain it is much more effective to play within the Overton window and just be very uh, careful and succinct with with what you point out
1: well and and not to say that those those views those thesis don't have merit in fact the reason that they're attractive and alluring is that um, there's they're based on hordes of truth and they have t- and tons of merit and and the thesis in many respects not all and there's some in glaring uh, outside uh, outside points but in many respects they're grounded in merit and and so you, you could zoom out and say well could, could those actually be um, used to get folks to opt out of any political discourse themselves, or to self-identify as someone that we need to um, uh, 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 discredit or target or um, uh, persecute? And and you know I've heard views that an Alex Jones or a Q is is essentially feed feed an audience enough truth and hope but then push them outside the Overton window, slow roll them so that they spread their fear and anger over a long period of time they expend it. Um, And obviously I can't say, Um, what what I will say is that they tend to make strong ties into theism, um, which has a way of taking advantage of people's um, uh, intellectual faculties because it, it, it starts making them think in certainties and in very um hot emotions um and and it, it it helps them remove themselves from their own rational mind and and so i i think you know i i could see how um identifying or or roping people in really does work to disenfranchise any credibility um and at the same time um you know, if you're telling a lot of truths, you're, you're also making those truth, you're pushing those truths outside the Overton window as well, right? Because now, if you um, say something that was brought up in one of those thesis, well, that's already been radicalized, right? So uh, how could we discuss that now, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... It's like a death by a thousand cuts to an extent, right? You're just demoralization.
1: Now, for me, what's more important than what they're saying, because I think they're saying interesting things, is what they're not saying. You know, a lot of these things they they fixate on vaccine origins and and um, what the vaccine's going to do. And it makes me wonder if they're mostly doing that to keep you distracted um, while other things are happening. I don't hear a lot. About uh, the great reset, and I don't hear a lot about monetary reset. I don't hear a lot about uh, China. We talked with BlackRock just a little bit, and and China comes up. If you look at Moderna, you see that their board it has a not insignificant uh, representation from China, CCP, um, and so these ties they come up. If you start looking at what's happening, um, very you know, with any amount of scrutiny at all. In fact, you could look at the whole thing and say, you know, why is the West going along with the Great Reset? Why are they importing China's, you know, strain variant of authoritarianism to the West with COVID as the conduit? What's in it for China? And, you know, you might zoom out and say, okay, well, well, the West is getting um, China's level of totalitarianism, exertion on their own population. And the West is giving China the world, in the sense the West is giving China hegemony of the next long cycle. And I, I think that thesis has a good amount of weight. Um, if you think of authoritarianism as a field instead of, you know, these labels of communism, Fascism. Um, if you think of it as a single field with academics and, and, and theorists and um, experiments, then you could actually zoom out and view, uh, you know, you, you could say something like, okay, if World War II um, was a, um, a world war that um, experimented with fascism and communism, what did they learn? And I think they learned in Soviet Russia, if, if if the government takes over the means of production, it can't actually handle all um, it can't handle all the industries efficiently, and and so it's a bad idea to try and take over the means of production uh, to centralize that. You need. And because what will happen is you'll end up being completely poor and you'll just have to export uh, your raw resources so whatever raw resources, you have. Maybe it's ore, maybe it's oil, maybe it's you know what have you and 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 then you import everything you need to feed your country and so that ends bad if you. um, Even wealthy countries like Venezuela who tried to do that like it ends it's a very uh, it doesn't work it's bad and but what. Works with communism is it's very intoxicating to the people. They really it really works to get people to think that way is like it's a people's government. It's a people's society. So that it really works on the surf uh, that academia. You look at um, Germany. They had huge success with fascism, which is to say, uh, the government partnered with and. They worked together to operate the country. The government basically awards these croniest uh, forever monopolies. So it says, "Okay, you have this industry; you don't have to, um, you don't have to compete." And the the industry titans to do whatever the government needs. And and so I think authoritarian academia realized, okay, the next version of authoritarianism we need to, in the back end, adopt this fascism uh, where the government partners, it doesn't take over. And in the front end, we need this um, communist kind of thing. And so you could look at China and say, well, what do they have? They have in the back end, it's high tech fascism. And in the front end, it's social scoring communism. And that's like the beast, the current, this is the, 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 the cutting edge academia of authoritarianism in practice. And so that, that seems to be what's being imported uh, to the West. And th- the reason I, I'm tying this into the Overton window um, and, and Alex Jones and, and BlackRock is that depending on if you're viewing things rationally, you can look at this last event with the United States leaving Afghanistan in a handful of ways. Um, you could look at it as saying, um, okay, this is a way for us to um, rile up another forever war, right? We leave in a terrible way, and then the, the military-industrial complex uh, it creates all this uh, sympathy and empathy and desire to go back and fix things. Okay, but I think that might be too simplistic. If, if you zoom out, um, what you might actually wonder is in order for the Great Reset to, and and the West included, to pass the torch to China as the next hegemon, what has to happen? And I think what has to happen is the US has to be removed, dollar hegemony has to be seeded in order to make way. And so you might say, okay, how do you seed dollar hegemony? And that is a complex question, but, if you start to get your arms around it, I think you'll come up with some basic things, which is to say, we need to eliminate energy independence. We need to make it really hard um, to settle trade. We need to hand the Middle East to China because the whole reason the US invented uh, the Taliban and went into the Middle East was to uh, check China in terms of force as a neighbor and prop up U.S. hegemony um, and, and obviously all the rich resources there. So if you look at it from the point of view of the Great Reset, you might zoom out and say, oh, what's actually happening is, or, or is what actually is happening is, is Biden, is his final task to basically hand China the Middle East disgrace the image of the United States in the eyes of the international community, such that it creates a foundation where they can start discussing, um, moving on to a new superpower, moving away from uh, the dollar, moving into some new system. And um, I think that that's probably Closer to the reality, it's a seeding of U.S. hegemony, and so this is why it's so critical to be zoomed out to be thinking in terms of monetary reset.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider and zooming in a little bit, leading up to the election and the, the drama around Hunter Biden and potential collusion with the Chinese state on behalf of his father and the way in which we pulled out of Afghanistan abruptly, which again, I think many people wanted to get out of Afghanistan. They're just shocked at how incompetent and how terrible the U.S. military, which is supposed to be the strongest military in the world, looked uh, throughout the whole process. And, And then you consider the fact that China and Russia... Uh, I don't know if we even want to bring Russia into this, but they were the only two countries that didn't sign uh, basically an agreement to (laughs) not work directly with the Taliban. And they're there shaking hands and having meetings. Uh, And
1: the only two embassies in Kabul after the U.S. left is China and Russia. And the dollar is backed by the full faith in the strength globally in the United States military, right? And so... When you disgrace the United States military in the international community, what happens to the faith in the dollar? What happens to Treasury purchases? What happens to you know the discussions going into monetary reset about who is going to be the superpower um, uh, in the next long cycle? Is is the torch on terrorism being handed to China? Is that kind of what's going on? Um, and therefore the Middle East is being handed. Um, you know, you look at the way we left, it was it was this very shooting from the hip, like, okay, Trump made the promise and I'm keeping it. But, but certainly, um, if the goal was to disgrace the US, well then, mission accomplished. In so many ways, was it sloppy and on purpose and intentional, this abandonment. Um, and now, you know, for me, the strongest signal is, Um, You can look at the narratives coming out of the Malthusian um, wizards, and you could see that um, they're all beating the drum of what a disgrace this is uh, for the United States, right? Oh, this completely decimates the reputation of the US. And so that's coming out of all the globalist NGOs, the globalist um, uh, news uh, media, it's coming out of the progressives certainly on the left but but shocker it's coming from republicans too they're all chiming this they're all singing the same song and so when that happens they all want us to believe that what this was was uh, a gaffe a just misstep and uh, they all want us to feel that shame of that oh i guess we're not the superpower anymore and that sets you up so that the next conversation of okay, we're going to pivot into uh, maybe the IMF and some new structure, new bucket that they're setting up in the world um, order will be, um, it, you know, may, maybe central uh, bank digital currencies will be backed by SDRs, which are themselves a bucket of, of, of these things. And, and that starts to describe, paint a picture of the actual uh, mechanism of reset because it always is different. You know, it's not always Bretton Woods where it's just people they meet and they negotiate and, okay, here's, here, here's the shape of it. Um, you know, it might be that there's a couple pillars, there's a couple tools that they use to um, rotate the world off of the old monetary order and into the new monetary order. Um, I know that uh, the IMF members voted that the IMF no longer is constrained in their printing of SDRs. So they're able to essentially print the currencies of their members um, at will now. And so you see kind of the center of gravity for money printing, leaving the dollar and moving towards the IMF already. I know that they're using vaccines as a proxy for getting uh, SDR on the balance sheets of member countries. So you can say, hey, we need vaccines, give us a bunch of these SDRs, and then I can convert them to any currency of a member country, which uh, eliminates the, uh, the US um, uh, currency exchange uh, system and replaces it with the IMF system. Um, I, I think there's one more piece missing. There needs to be some facility that allows Uh, the euro dollar to be phased out, um, to to swap out um, U.S. debt for um, some um, IMF-based element. And so I'm on the lookout for that, but but I'm starting to think these are the three uh, pieces, the three tools that'll be used to transition uh, countries away from the dollar and into the, uh, into a global, uh, a new sort of central global monetary system. Um, And so you might ask, like, how does, how does that make China the, the hegemon? And I think it's as simple as they would just represent the largest ownership, largest membership of that system. And that would be explained away by them taking a, a large stance in the, in the international community in terms of the responsibilities of taking the torch on terrorism and securing these trade deals and Belt and Road. And and when you add that to what you see with like BlackRock saying, hey, we're gonna start looking in that direction for investment. You take this chorus of signals together and it starts to look a little like the international community already knows what's coming. They're trying to slow roll us into that. And that makes you wonder, um, is Biden doing the dirty work, the hard work of seeding dollar hegemony? Um, it, it, making way for a new superpower.
0: I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. At least, like it's, it's hard to believe, particularly with Afghanistan, that we're that incompetent, right? And this is something I said yesterday on the show, and you've alluded to it too. Like the, the, the monetary debasement, particularly hyper hyperinflationary effects, are, are driven two parts. Obviously. One being the actual expansion of the monetary base via the printing of more monetary units. And then two, it's a social aspect of it. Do you have trust in the ability of those individuals in control of the monetary system to, to be able to competently facilitate the, the distribution and, and control of, of that monetary system. And it, it seems like the last few, I mean, the last 18 months really with all the printing and then on top of that, the, the, uh, the debacles of the whole COVID response, the lockdowns, and then what's going on in Afghanistan um, is leading many people to believe that they are not competent or able to run this monetary system. And it does seem very well-coordinated to uh, an extent if you're paying attention to everything you just mentioned. Um, China replacing yeah. the U.S. and the Middle East. Larry Fink posturing like we're going to begin investing more heavily in China and, and other things. But that, what I am curious is like, even with like the Belt and Road, like, there's a lot of people who report back from what's going on in Africa specifically. And like China, obviously Belt and Road is just injecting numerous uh, immense amounts of capital into developing nations and, and attempting to build out infrastructure for them to, uh, basically carry favor um, and and control, um, but' there's, they're not good at what they're trying to do, particularly from like an infrastructure perspective, like they don't actually build good things, and like does that sloppiness also help the fight that we're fighting, which is trying to point individuals towards a more sovereign way of living in the digital age?
1: Well, yeah, I agree they're not, they're not very. Good. And I think that might be where the West comes in. I think the West is like, we can bring that to the table, open these markets to us and we'll bring, you know, a new internationally minded West uh, that includes friendliness to these countries in a way that, and access to these countries in a way that we haven't had before. Um, So I think that by itself could explain uh, where the productivity is going to come from uh, so I, I, I think that's real. And, and, but at the same time, and, and also certainly um, if, if your goal is to launch a, a global, uh, you know, a, a type of new high tech, politically correct global communism uh, amongst these smart, these, these large cities, you need a very large base of serfs. And so these developing countries give you that. Um, they're unsophisticated poor countries that you can basically um, uh, groom into being uh, serfs and, and so i think that it gives you that but i but i also think a lot of what's happening is um and this i see this in the bitcoin space too there's a fear that it's it's physically you, we're physically being forced into this and and i think that that's in our heads i think most of it is coercement. And, um, you know, even in the World Economic Forum's materials themselves, they recognize that that, uh, they're going to have to uh, condition their own serfs to be fearful of the people that didn't go along with all this, who basically left the cities and formed their own self-sufficient societies. And so I think that that's a tell. It's a tell that um, if you opted out at every layer that you're being coerced, you can simply go start the free towns, the free um, villages, the free areas, band together and, and you know start building an unstoppable, peaceful society. Um, and that through that action of, of doing what's best for yourself, um, that a, a decentralized revolution, you know, of the type that have nev- has never existed will emerge. It's sort of the slow emergence, of a um, society with uh, asynchronous or asymmetric defenses at every critical point. So in the money, asymmetric defense in the tech in, in how you communicate with each other. Um, uh, so so I, I think that the sloppiness works in favor of um, intellectual freedom-minded capitalists who simply aren't going to be led into serfdom, who will opt out. And because of that, I think you're going to end up with um, brilliant free areas with exciting capitalism and flourishing. And that should also serve to wake up um, uh, people who maybe felt helpless, who are maybe wandering into this thing and, and realize that they actually have more control than they thought they did.
0: Yeah, It's a choice. I mean, it's, you are not being physically coerced, you're being mentally nudged. Right? That concept of the nudging state just slowly, intellectually pushes you in, in one direction or another. And then you wake up in that, in that mental prison, which may have also put you in a, a physical open air prison as well. Um, and you it have to give
1: that. Yeah, you, you have to give a hat tip to the formula of Malthusian fear spells. I mean, that the efficacy, like the, they're extremely potent and they work. And, and it's you can use that formula over and over in all these different contexts. And you, you you might look at like the the Afghanistan thing and say that's a Malthusian fear spell in itself. You you basically can create the fear that the U.S. is no longer fit to secure the world right oh and so so the old way doesn't work anymore it's time to come up with a new way and 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 so what's the new way oh it's these this global coalition of countries these great reset countries are going to come together to establish a new order and that's the new way that will restore trust right it'll restore trust and china will as the the largest superpower uh who's leaning into green who's leaning into who's uh, you know, negotiating with the Taliban, they will take the torch, and so that's a Malthusian fear spell. Um, you could take COVID and say, okay, so COVID is it's this mass trauma event, and and we're, we're all terrified. And it and involves all of us. It's one nation can't solve it, so we all need to come together because the old way doesn't work anymore. A new way has to be established, um, and that is a global coalition of medical <laughs> medical. Cooperation Um, and so we're all going to erase previous norms and 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 sort of lean into this new way of living this new normal and that's a a Malthusian fear spell. Um, You could say okay the old way of producing carbon in all these capacities um, is is hurtling us all towards a climate change um, crisis. And um, a single nation can't solve that. It's a problem for all of us, a fear, a trauma event for the whole world. And so we need to, the old way doesn't work anymore. So we need to come together as a, as a society. You know, the whole world needs to come together to to erase previous norms and lean into a new way of living. That's a Malthusian fear spell. They all take this shape and they all follow the, the, the wisdom that the ABCs learned which is you can use trauma as a master key and you can use debt cycles monetary reset as the door in order to reshape society and and so you have Afghanistan and you have COVID and you have climate um but there are more right terrorism is also a Malthusian fear spell suddenly um the towers come down um so ABC saw t- to that and then you have the mainstream media blitz and suddenly we're all have the new problem to be fearful of a problem that it, that extended beyond what a single nation state can solve. And so the old norms of being able to travel with privacy and dignity um, have to be wiped clear so that we could all come together with passports and x-rays and um, dragnet surveillance to to uh, create a new way of living to to deal with this, and so, um, and you you could say firearms are like that too. It's okay. There's an epidemic of of mass shootings and 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 the um, same thing over and over. It's this. It's extremely potent. In fact, some people on Twitter have um, impressed me by by saying, "Hey, is." is there an alien's Malthusian fear spell being seated, being prepared? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's that they recognize it has the same rhythm. They say, okay, if you wanted to do an alien, a UFO um, Malthusian fear spell, you could create a fear over time and eventually have some type of psyop, a trauma event where countries kind of woke up to the reality that they needed to band together Right. And the old way didn't work anymore. And we needed to reset norms and create a new way of living.
0: I'm just going to say, yes, it's, it's incredible that people are, are waking up to these themes and sort of noticing patterns and trying to call things out before they happen. I would argue uh, the, the cyber attacks are another example of that um, yep. in recent years where they, they sort of postured about them, postured about them, you know, the World Economic Forum with their cyber contagion. And then obviously this year, it's become more prominent in the news and, and, and a bigger theme in the world. But like, again, again, go back to terrorism specifically. And this is something I wrote about and have tweeted about since the Afghanistan uh, debacle is, has unfolded over the last few weeks. Like, do you think people are going to wake up and call bullshit? Like, hey, you passed the Patriot Act. You eroded our civil liberties. We had to walk through the TSA and have mouth breathers like pat us down. Uh, We had to take our shoes off, do this very dehumanizing process every time we go to travel uh, in an airport. It just doesn't apply. To trains or planes, or excuse me, or trains or automobiles. But for some reason, when we get on a, a flight, we have to do this stuff. And the whole justification for the TSA and the erosion of our civil liberties outside of the airports so constantly surveilled. Um, privacy has been given a negative connotation um, because if you're hiding something, you're likely a terrorist. And again, everything justified under the guise of terrorism and, and trying to protect individual citizens from terrorists. And yet, Fast forward 20 years, leaving Afghanistan, you leave $85 billion worth of weapons and equipment in the terrorist hands, like uh, all for nothing.
1: And it's it's even deeper. I mean, um, you know, Snowden and and dragnet surveillance, those revelations, and and, um, the fact that we had, you had privacy of your you know, what happened in your house was private. What you did in your personal life was private. And as an American citizen, you felt empowered. And that was, we all had that. And that was wiped clean. And suddenly, all of your communications in your personal life could be indexed uh, with dragnet surveillance so that they could look at it at any time. And at first, they would use it for investigation. So, okay, an event happened, we need to scour all this troves of data in order to connect the dots but then um and funny enough this actually started the advent uh, it it was the first program of pre-crime um which is very similar to what china does with social scoring by the way but it it introduced the west to pre-crime to where now you can say okay well if we can use this to investigate things after the fact and try and figure out who did what um, could we use all all people's personal data, personal details, uh, their thoughts, how, how their communications. Can we use machine learning and AI, and can we start to predict, um, predict what people do, and 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 that's really important, um, especially when you consider the label of just terror. You know, if you are a terrorist, um, it it allows extra-legal treatment, so suddenly none of the old norms apply. You get special, you have a special legal system for you. Um, and so it, when you have pre-crime and terrorism together, it, it, it's almost like um, you were able to completely sidestep the constitution and the judiciary. Um, and, and you know, when you hold that in your left hand, in your right hand, you have the security state kind of um, moving on from the Middle East and moving you know, back home to focus on American citizens and, and um, conservatives and, and you know, white, uh, white rage <laughs> or whatever the thing is. You know, of course, that's very concerning because you have the precedent of, okay, all of your data is gonna be used to judge you in the court of pre-crime. And if we find that you are pre-guilty, uh, we have extra legal system for you. Um, and, and that of course is alarming to say the least. And it's one of the reasons I say that we need to opt out at every layer because to a certain, you know, in a certain view, one could ask, listen, is, are you really a victim if you're letting someone into your life in all these areas, right? You know, if, how much sympathy should I have if your house gets ransacked and you had all your windows open and your door open? Now, what you should do is know that crime exists, lock, fortify your house so that you could provide security to your family. And the same is true um, in terms of uh, what jurisdiction you live in. If you live in a heavily blue jurisdiction with an activist judiciary, you're probably not going to get justice. You know, you see these uh, judges uh, taking people, you know, uh, um, sacrificing uh, custody for one parent because they haven't had the, Uh, the jab, right, and they haven't gotten their vaccine. So, okay, they're not fit to be a parent. It's like, I I could guess that that's in an activist judiciary in a blue area. So, so, you know, are you a victim if you haven't voted with your feet? And the same is true of your digital life. If, if you can be brought up in the court of pre-crime at any time, arbitrarily by politically motivated um, super police, are you a victim if you allow all your chat, all your emails, all the discussions between your loved ones, um, you allow your computers and your phones all to be eavesdropped on, as if you don't have a choice. And the reality is, you do have a choice. You can simply shut the windows and lock the door. You can you can show them the door and say, you know, uh, it's been nice having you, but but uh, we're all done <laughs> not living private lives. We're all done living out in the open, and so. Um, to a, to a certain degree, you know, the terrorism thing is it, it allowed for pre, the start of pre-crime, but it also allowed for movement passes between countries. And one could look at COVID and say, oh, wow, COVID is a way to extend those movement passes into your own neighborhood. So now not only do you need a movement pass between countries, you need a movement pass um, to, you know, go down the street. And can they use the dragnet surveillance for um, terrorism, but they can use it to make sure that you're not hosting a party this weekend with some, um, you know, some uh, unvaccinated people who are super spreaders. And you could even look at like what we see in Australia, they had this large expose on this, you know, the nation's most wanted man. It was a man who who didn't take his his shot and he's, you know, uh, out, out, in public, you know the the gravest danger to society, and so he was characterized as this as this enemy number one in front of the nation. And then uh, he got extra legal treatment. You could say, "Wow, are they pivoting the 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 extra legal treatment of terrorism into?" Um, COVID enemies, and and doesn't that mean they can just apply that to anything arbitrarily? And I think so long as they have a potent Malthusian fear spell, then the answer would be yes, right? Can you imagine um, enemies, uh, nations, most wanted um, uh, gas guzzler who who's been running his his um, oil, you know, his diesel generator while everyone else has been uh, uh, rationing like good citizens? So you know, where, where does this end? And, and, um, you know, it's, it's not hard to to start to draw the parallels between these things and, and, and and feel a sense of um, uh, like the walls are coming in and, and, and uh, this, this sort of, you know, are there any laws anymore? If, if, If you have these super police and, and extra legal Treatment and pre crime, like what constitutes breaking the law or not? Is it just if you, you know, it's almost like narrative is replacing law. If you break the narrative, you are now a criminal.
0: 100%. Like we see this with like the petty crime in places like San Francisco, even Austin, Texas, where I'm moving, you walk into a CVS, and as long as you steal less than something like $900 worth of goods, you can walk out and you're not going to get arrested. it's-
1: right and of course and of course the, um, the Malthusian fear spell of racism is is um, it's because you're you're abiding by that or breaking it right because um, there needs to be an oppressor oppressed uh, class hierarchy in order to capture that whole segment of society which is um, sensitive, to the idea that there is injustice in the forms of haves and haves not. So you can, you know, you can capture them with that mouth using fear spell. And, and, and then you can see that that's manifest in these weird ways, such as, Oh, okay, well now stealing's okay. And um, (laughs) it's, it's, um, or if you're in the wrong place, you get this legal treatment. If you're in a blue area, if you're in a red area, you might get this legal treatment.
0: Yeah. You're stealing from CVS. They're, they're, a very well off organization, a very well off corporation this this man's homeless. let him take the eight hundred and fifty dollars worth of goods and just walk out with it not like right uh, or you
1: know the the black lives matter and, and antifa treatment where there was seemed to be a very large dichotomy between the treatment of that um, that behavior um over twenty twenty the riots what have you, and all the unrest and and uh, versus the treatment of the behavior of conservatives who in their mind are um, doing political speech and activism in the name of protecting um, the constitution etc etc so you, you know if you look at that without the framing of monetary reset and the framing of Malthusian fear spells it's easy to basically because you just see the injustice and in the contrast between the two. But when you look at it um, properly uh, through the right frame, you see that, oh, actually, that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. And yet, I mean, you mentioned Australia. It's happening in New Zealand, too. That man sneezing in an elevator is enemy number one. They're creating these others. And it's scary. I mean, so, I mean, going further than the list that we have here, like...
1: Like, well and, and, and I, I, I need to touch on that too so that that is um, a theme in all the dystopian uh, science fictions which is to say um, you're in a society of omnipresent surveillance and there and and digital ID and real-time checkpoints everywhere you go and there are super police who basically... Um, use social scoring and these different Malthusian fear spells to make enemy number ones. And then they broadcast them so everyone could see. And then, uh, uh, and so and in that way, they're actually making an example of the behavior and that's how they condition and that's how they um, uh, ha, 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 discipline uh, the society. And so, you know, you might look at the Australia um, stunt as like, okay, they're, they're launching the sort of um, public discipline program uh, by ma- by one conditioning people to the fact that there's arbitrary law now. You no longer have due process. It's just arbitrary law. And two, that you know, you if you act that way, you're going to be enemy number one. You're going to be displayed. You're going to be pursued, hunted, etc. And you know, it's science fiction, but it's also what they do in China. In China, they have um, uh, these walking
0: stuff, right? What's that? The jaywalking. Like if you jaywalk, your picture gets put up and you're made an example as a bad citizen.
1: Exactly. So they have billboards that promote and commercials that that go on and on about model citizens, all the luxuries and rewards they get for behaving. And then they demonize and they make an example of, and they use that to discipline the rest of the society, the the dissidents. And, um, you know, when I started talking about social scores, I had some plebs say social scores already exist, right? We already have credit scores and social security and tech companies already surveil everything you do. And NSA already does dragnet surveillance on all your, your communications. But the thing that they don't realize is that is all fragmented. And in technology fragmentation is a very strong obstacle to performing higher and higher level controls on the data, Um, especially when you want to merge the data, um, merge all those views into the type of view that would be required to centrally plan society or centrally control um, a population. And so the difference between the West and China is in China, they are converging quickly on, formalizing and unifying the data set um, such that they're eliminating fragmentation and doing so it allows uh, them to um, erect this type of society that we're discussing this type of dystopian um, society and and the shape you know and so it's it's the the shape of the um, the the thing to focus on is it's not just the social score in fact Don't over, don't fixate on the social score as a number. What it really is, is it's kind of a new society in cyberspace that permanently displaces the nation state with biometric identity. Um, And then you use that to auth against everything. So you, you know, you log in for lack of a better word, you log into your Gmail with your digital identity, you log into Twitter with your digital identity, you log in to pay your taxes with your digital identity. As you're walking down your street, the omnipresent surveillance is recording everything, your behavior to that digital identity. So it's this society in cyberspace that displaces the nation state with digital identity-based single sign-on. And then based on all that data, they run an algorithm to calculate your score right? And then they have these checkpoints everywhere in society, digital and physical. So physical checkpoint, oh, you can't move between neighborhoods or get on transportation because your score is too low. And digital, like, okay, you want to, um, you know, here are your permissions on Twitter because um, you uh, are not uh, a model citizen. So you need to be, your content needs to be pushed down. You need to be sort of um, pushed further away from the general citizenry. And of course, uh, they, 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 the new thing, and this is happening in China, but also in the West, is taking all that and tying it to your money. So you have this digital currency, a kind of programmable surf money. And this eliminates the fragmentation problem. Suddenly, in the, the kind of high tech fascism, they all have a ID to tie your behavior to, and it's the same ID. So they know for your person, everything should be expressed in terms of that digital identity. And this allows the state to join all this data together and create a master view of your human action. And then they can um, discipline, you know, raise you up or, or, or persecute you based on that behavior.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's weird. You're describing all this. It's like, I can't stop thinking about Minority Report, which is wants me to lead to a question for you. I don't know if you've thought about that. Like, what is the deal with these sci-fi novella or just futuristic novels calling this stuff out? So like Minority Report was written in 1954, adapted to a movie in 2002. Obviously we have Orwell's 1984. Are these sci-fi novels or these, these, pieces of literature and in, in media in the form of movies are they trying to warn us by saying hey if you if you don't pay like pay attention like this cycle has repeated in some form or another in the past and will come to you in the future if you don't pay attention or are they trying to condition us to be okay with it can i say one thing
1: yeah i you know that's hard to say like so uh, a good example in in 1932 you know aldous huxley put out brave new world and that terrified readers it's this vision of a dystopian future grounded in high-tech totalitarian and um so was he was he fantasizing was he projecting thinking like this is what we could do or was he warning and and some folks say he was warning. He was basically terrified himself when he connected the dots, and and that's where the the, the story came from. And interestingly enough, twelve years after he put out Brave New World, his brother Julian Huxley, who is a um, he's a famous academic of eugenics and globalism, he produced the charter for the United Nations. It's called uh, a book called UNESCO. Um, and uh, the parallels between Brave New World and United Nations are terrifying um, uh, in, in terms of the United Nations goals. And so, you know, did his brother take the, that dystopian book, Brave New World, and draw inspiration from it? It looks like it. What does that mean? Aldous was in favor or was he warning? It's, it's hard to say. And, and in a minority report, um, in m- minority report, they're running a, a pre-crime pilot in Washington, D.C., and um, that pilot causes murder to completely be ameliorated. The murder rate goes to zero. And then an anomaly forces the chief of the pre-crime pilot to go underground and circumvent digital identity in order to learn or, or... Shine a light on the fact that the oracles they use to predict pre-crime, meaning um, they're in order to eliminate crime, the cost eliminate murder. The cost is they have to eliminate uh, uh, innocent people as well, right? And you know, uh, in in Fahrenheit, uh, uh, Fahrenheit, what is this? It? Uh, I forgot the name. Um,
0: Fahrenheit nine one one or four 4- one or no yeah for something i think i mean i'm at my computer yeah
1: 451 that's right so yeah and in fahrenheit 451 another dystopian book um uh so americans they 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 basically rallied together to force the state to remove all offensive ideas and that leads to this type of totalitarian society with no history books uh no music no film and But there's a commonality between Brave New World and Minority Report and and this society, which is citizens are managed via AI, and they're managed with this omnipresent surveillance and state media and digital identity and real-time checkpoints. Um, And so that that part's the same. And and, um, uh, that theme seems to be present over and over in these novellas, but also in um, movies as well. Um, in the fifth element, uh, uh, they're also in the context of a society where people live in pods, and um, uh, this, the, the the rules and laws of a society are mostly algorithmically managed. There's omnipresent surveillance. There's digital identity. Um, there's uh, uh, real time checkpoints everywhere. And in that movie, they have to use they have to um, get around digital ID in order to save the world. And so. Um,
0: Multi pass.
1: Multi pass. That's right. So, so almost all of these dystopian um, views of the future uh, contain uh, this kind of Chinese high tech authoritarianism, right? It has, the, it has the communism in the front, the social score communism in the front, and the high tech fascism in the back. It has the omnipresent surveillance it has the, um, the real-time checkpoints and it has the biometric digital ID. And, and they all have this. Um, and so I think part of what I think is happening is as technology started to um, capture the imaginations of authors and uh, literists and people who are who, futurists, um, I think they all started to converge on the idea that this technology is at first glance centralizing, and as it the greater the technology in terms of functionality um the more sacrifice uh in terms of individual sovereignty and so i think that that if if i had to say is like a default i would say they're mostly warnings i think they're mostly people who Projected forward where technology was taking us, and was terrified at the type of societies that you could get, and they all had um, very similar themes in terms of the controls that would really stifle the human spirit. Um, in the book *The Giver*, they live in a um, a perfect commune with no uh, suffering and no.
0: It's funny. Uh, you it's funny. You bring the giver up. I was literally thinking of the giver yesterday. It's a book I've been <laughs> decades.
1: It's like, I mean, it's iconic. And so they're in a commune with no suffering and no sadness and no fear. And, um, but they also have no choice and no risk and, and very little meaning. Right. Because if you have none of those things, then, you know, what is your life experience? And, um, technology centralizes to such an extent and the state is elevated to such an extent that the, the serfs within the giver commune don't even, aren't even aware of birthing. That's been centralized too. And that's hidden away from them. And of course, in the end, they, they, you know, Jonas, the main character, he makes off with a baby and goes off into the wild, dangerous freedom of the wilderness. And, and he becomes, you know, the type of hard man that the, the communists warn their serfs about, starts a, you know, a wild free society. You know, he regains that. And, and um, you, you know, there, there's something about that which is intrinsic to communism, which is, you know, communism is kind of this if fascism is this tyrannical father, which is it's it's this uh, forceful militaristic gov- government that is is very um, ruling by force and, and ruling by this kind of proud strength, then then communism is kind of this uh, consuming mother. It's this I'm going to rule you with safety. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to eliminate all risk and and suffering and and fear and danger and safety and the the way that that will be um uh, uh, uh the way that that will destroy your soul is because you won't have any choice left you won't have any ability to m- take a risk make a choice have your own you know you, you kind of you deserve risk you deserve um tragedy you deserve all these things that life offers such that you could have meaning and, and that's where it comes from In communism basically threatens to centralize so far that we are, you know, these docile um, uh, farm animals, you know, who are who have no fear in the world but have very little meaning in the world. And, and so um, most of the dystopian novels seem to recognize that technology as a, a primitive um, gravitates us towards um, that direction until eventually um, you've ceded individual autonomy to a central planning AI, which which micromanages, which smothers the human spirit. Now, of course, all these dystopian models, um, these dystopian visions, not one of them thought of an energy, an unstoppable energy money that would cement the individual, that would cement your right to choice that would cement your right to starting a family that would cement your right to making mistakes your right to tragedy that would cement your right to individual autonomy bodily autonomy so none of them thought of bitcoin bitcoin flies in the face of every dystopian vision and it also flies in the face of the great reset um because it, it basically undermines the fundamental thing that uh, the state requires in order to keep centralizing um, and keep uh, uh, growing its, its death grip on um, the autonomy of the individual, and that is money printing. It, it undermines the ability to steal people, to, to parasite off of people's uh, time. Um, and so I, I find it fascinating that all these dystopian uh, um, books and movies and shows um, have that same theme, and not one of them uh, foresaw freedom money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry if we it took us off track a bit there with the the novella talk, but I think it's important to highlight how prescient they are, and. Really, not a novel, but like maybe only the sovereign individual is able to see something like this. Have you read that? Yeah,
1: yeah. that's a great point. I mean, the, it, it, what, what's funny is that um, you know the attitude of like, okay, um, I have nothing to hide. Why do we need privacy? And that's that's what happened after nine eleven. That attitude of like, I mean, they they get it all anyway. Is what can we do? I have nothing to hide, anyways. And you can extend that all the way to the the little pamphlets the World Economic Forum put out. Uh, those little banners. The um, it's twenty thirty. Um, I own nothing. I have no privacy, and you know I'm happy, or something to that degree. Or you will own nothing and be happy, right? Um, just extending it all the way out. And um, you know, when people see the Chinese uh, social scoring society, they they not only kind of miss that it, it, it de-emphasizes private property and, and the ability to have privacy at all. Like, so, so that goes way down. Um, they also miss the fact that the social scoring system, the panopticon that, that monitors and, and the algorithm that decides it, and then all the enforcement mechanisms between the, the real time gates that are phys- you know, physically and digitally present and also the super police <laughs> that, that can treat anyone extra legally um that system usurps law on paper so law no no matter matters the the social score becomes law that becomes your god and and there only seems to be three penalties for disobeying it so you know all laws are simplified they're streamlined into kind of three things there's if you stop being a model citizen the first thing that happens is you get reduced access to society so you you know you, you you get your time gets a lot harder. People don't hear your message. It's harder for you to get a job. It's harder for you to access basic services. It's harder for you to move. Your mobility gets extremely limited. Um, and if you continue to um, not be a role model, then you start to be like a beginning dissident. And at that level, they'll come pick you up and you get re-educated. So you get taken and they reteach you the way that you're supposed to behave. And And, and okay. And if you still don't, uh, uh start to you know uh lean into the the uh the gamification of your social score then you get disappeared right and and that then you are a dissident you're made an example of and this is where you hear the, the scarier stuff and what, like the wiggers and you know and what happens in these you know these camps where you're disappeared it's hard to say it looks a lot like a type of genocide where it's um where you're used for labor or maybe the, you know, organ harvesting, and but I I simplify it. I just, you know, you get disappeared and we have, we don't have very good data on what that means. We just know that families no longer know where you are. And and so those seem to be the three levels. And so when people think of that coming to the West, what they don't realize is um, ask yourself, does that system look like it's coming here and you see the stuff in Australia, but you also see like quarantine centers being built in Australia. And, um, and, and and so, you know, it makes me wonder is, is that way, you know, it's, well, let me put it this way, you you can't import China's flavor of authoritarianism to the West without importing China's flavor of authoritarianism to the West and and if Australia is the trident, it's it's the vanguard, right? It's the thing that's out ahead of everything. Are you seeing stuff that looks like China? Are you seeing that you need to scan an ID, a QR code your face to get on public transportation? Are you seeing them make examples of people who aren't model citizens using, you know, arbitrary uh, law, super police, pre-crime? Are you seeing centers to where they can um re-educate and disappear people and 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 it's hard to say you we're seeing centers we're seeing quarantine centers and um you know you can connect the dots but it looks a lot like they're standing that up and and you know as it relates to the sovereign individual it's it's in the same way that these dystopian uh, novels didn't see bitcoin coming um, i don't think the great reset or these nation states are prepared to handle it and and um because well, let's just say they have their hands completely full with all the sheeple that are complying right I think it's been a home run beyond their wildest dreams the masses um, they want this and and that's another adjustment to make it's it's not that people are being entrapped it's it's almost that people are demanding this communism they' It's, it's the side effect of safe space maximalism, right? Like, they're to the degree where if you told them what this was, they won it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it's, it's they've been fighting a war of attrition their whole lives. And then they've gotten to the point where, like, all right, just give it to me. I don't care anymore.
1: But the sovereign individual says that there's a, a part of the population that's not willing that that goes on to start um, unstoppable free societies that 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 takes on a life cycle, a lifestyle of such asymmetric defense that um, a new way of living is. And I think, you know, we'll talk about that before this pod is over with, but I think that that is exactly what's going to happen. Um, I think what's going to happen is there's a lion's share of people that want centralization, they don't want decentralization, they want it and that's the surf class and I think that they will waltz directly into this and and um, they will not be denied the great reset um, because they are so um, captured mentally that uh, there's nothing we can do to prevent it. And, and so um, folks have asked me like, okay, your thesis is that by 2030, um, Bitcoin wins or the great reset wins and I actually think um, they both do I think the great reset gets off the ground because there's a a you know millions and millions of willing participants and for the same reason I think a decentralized revolution emerges organically you know um, because there's millions of people who are unwilling and they have Bitcoin to learn from as the basis for storing their time in and um, sacrifice and so then they can take those lessons and extend it to the other parts of their life to to bring asymmetric defense in other ways that they live and that creates um that insulates them from uh tyranny reaching into the intimate parts of their life and coercing them again and they can teach that and create a culture of that um so i i actually think you get more of a, a hard fork than like one winning. Now over the long period of time, I think um, Bitcoin disenfranchises the the, uh, high-tech, you know, PC communist cities, because I think uh, a side effect of communism is you have to have two tiers. You have to have a tier of uh, elite who are wealthy and don't live like the serfs. And I believe that that tier will buy Bitcoin and that'll ultimately, create the same problem you saw in the Soviet Union, which is, um, or Venezuela, which is um, they beca- the, the, the surf cities become resource poor over time and end up having to sell raw resources to uh, feed people to poverty and, and, and death and misery to the point where the whole idea collapses. So long-term, I actually think that's what's happening. I just don't know uh, if that's decades off or not. But short-term, I see, I I think it's like a a fork.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly, I hope it doesn't take too long, but it seems to be barreling in that direction. I mean, we talked about in the first episode, like sort of the the quasi-Balkanization and states asserting their rights and people using their feet, myself included, to go live in those states and start being around more like-minded individuals. And and obviously you have the New Yorks, the San Francisco's of the world that are going full force ahead with these vaccine passports and, and more restrictions and these credit systems. And yeah, the bifurcation has started. Uh, movement is being made. Yeah. I, I could certainly see that scenario playing out where they both win at least temporarily. And they, and they exist along each other alongside each other in parallel. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, Overwhelming you know, difference in quality of life and those leading uh, a sovereign life being much higher than those who who are are stuck in the open air prisons uh, around the world uh, is going to be too appealing to to not not want to transition to that and there's gonna, again there's going to be a point where it's like all right, this is demonstrably better for for not only my well-being, but materially, but my soul as well, and my human ability to to, to pursue human action.
1: And you, you could see where um, where information control and censorship becomes very important because if you're in a, a uh, what they're calling smart cities, so these this is where they want to launch most of the the omnipresent surveillance and and the the real-time uh checkpoints whether they're physical or digital but they this is where they want to launch these um the the concepts of the fourth industrial revolution the great reset um if if you're in there um and and that's not particularly like a happy existence what you don't want is you don't want to hear about these or, or they don't wanna allow you to hear about these flourishing areas that are doing capitalism and free choice. And like, you know, you hear that are, uh, you know, a, a Florence or Renaissance is around the, you know, oh it's like one hour North from me, right? So they don't want that. So, so censorship and, and uh, sort of like um, okay. turning the internet into like an intranet where you access it with digital ID, like that type of stuff is gonna be very critical um, to um, shielding people from flourishing that would be happening as, as a result of, um, uh, uh free, you know, voluntary, uh, commerce.
0: Uh, to apply the North Korea strategy.
1: Or, I mean, yeah, or more modernized version of that is China, right? Mm-hmm. And you have the, the, the great, you know, so you have the great firewall of China uh, you could imagine a great firewall of the West. And this is where like the thesis for the cyber pandemic starts to come in. So. Um, you know, so the World Economic Forum, Davos, the guys that predicted uh, COVID and, and spent a bunch of time in a think tank in these various sessions brainstorming how the world should react to it, how the media should react to it, how all the countries would end up banding together to form a new world order um, based on um, uh, post-pandemic responsibility and um, these same folks uh, have, have a thesis about a cyber pandemic, which is to say, you know, we'll have these hacks that um, make the internet not a safe space anymore. It'll be this dangerous place that you can't trust. And so some big trauma fear event will happen. And uh, then, you know, the same old malthusian thing so we'll have to come together as a as, as a as a society and put in and undo all the previous norms establish new norms so that we could trust the internet again so this is where i think you'll probably some see something like a big psyop it doesn't have to be that big society will do the rest to beat the um the hysteria drum so it can just be um, uh, you know small medium-sized disruption that's that the the mainstream media turns into a mass hysteria. And then you could see calls for um, digital identity in order to log onto the internet, log onto your Amazon or your Twitter, or your email. And that way they can keep track and keep you safe, right? And that's the idea. And then that's your safe space maximalism um, coming to, and, and eliminating the freedom of the internet. and. Well, that's quite useful for controlling information and, and also scoring people, understanding are you a model citizen or do you need to be um, does your mobility need to be limited or do you need to be re-educated or disappeared? And, and So one interesting data point, actually two things. One is that um, uh, the, uh, when 9/11 happened,, um, uh, there's an international body of countries, um, together that, uh, that, uh, promise each other military support. Um, and they is, they triggered article five, article five in their home papers is basically an act of war. And that's what allowed for a lot of the norms to be reset. And a lot of the things we saw in terms of dragnet and, and, um, uh, uh all the invasive uh, private uh, uh, safety measures at the airports what have you um that hasn't been triggered since um i'm trying to think of the international uh, 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 alliance that did this but um they haven't triggered it since and they recently came out and said um you can think of it like un it's not un it's a it's a similar or uh,
0: g7 or yeah
1: close close it's it's the military um uh, part of it i'm going to think of it after this pod but
0: um
1: <laughs> they updated their articles to say that um a cyber attack would would be included um would also be an act of war and so it looks a little like they're setting the um setting the the circumstances that would allow a large psyop to give them clearance to treat that like a 9-11 and extend um their extra legal power to the internet and 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 so um i think if we're gonna see something like that like because you need to control what the surf sees in in, in this very strict way so it wouldn't surprise me if, if that's kind of what's on the um horizon
0: um here one second i'm gonna Oh, NATO, NATO. NATO, there we go, yes. Yep,
1: and so they haven't triggered Article 5 since uh, 9-11, and they've updated it so that cyber cyber can trigger it. And so, you know, it's not hard to connect the dots and say, okay, well, if the ABCs uh, coordinated a large cyber false flag, the mainstream media could beat the hysteria fear loop. Society would be terrified that the internet was no longer trustworthy. Um, you'd have to wipe out the previous norms, establish new norms to restore trust, a new normal, and it would be um, these NATO allies banding together against cyber terrorism, calls for digital identity, and then that's how you would get a great firewall of the West. And, you know, that's how, because because currently we don't have a good story for importing that, right? We have a great story for movement passes and social scoring in central bank digital currencies, but but you know, what, what rationale could Canada or Australia say, oh, and by the way, every time you open your computer, you're going to be logging in with your government ID. What rationale do they have? And so this is laying the, the groundworks to vaccinate the internet, sort of speak. And 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 that's how you get the full closed loop society where um, everything is tied to your digital um, identity. And, um, you know, we talked, and so this is cyber terrorism. And so now you can treat people, you know, if it, if it was easy to, to treat people with extra legal uh, persecution when it was just terrorism, wait until it's cyber terrorism, right? Because now it's completely arbitrary and, and infinitely easier to, um, to uh, fabricate anything. Right.
0: Yeah. Just make everything very succinct and easy. And they're beginning to do this in Australia this week alone, they just I think it was yesterday or the day before they pushed through a law that allows the law enforcement to come and take control of your social media accounts and your, your phones and your email accounts and erase stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I had plebs who are took note when I um, made a big stink over this Jason Lowery character in the Bitcoin space. And, and, um, I wasn't just singling him out. I had, I have a reasonable rationale for, for, um, rejecting his thesis because, um, this is a, uh, an intelligence agent that works, um, with the DOD, I believe. And, Speakers. um, That's right. Space Force. Okay. And he's worked with a bunch of ABCs and, and, um, he's suggesting is that, hey, I'm going to be your inside guy. I'm going to sell the government on adopting Bitcoin. Just help me come up with a narrative that they would be able to hear. And so a bunch of Bitcoin people jumped in and were very enthusiastic because he had interesting points, right? It is interesting the idea that Bitcoin could be a pillar of national security and that it, 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 um, it, it it sort of imbues you with this other, this, this the state with another asymmetric um, defense uh, in the same way that like a nuclear submarine uh, planted all around the world gives you um, that, that, that sort of specter of, of force gives you um, a, a defensive characteristic. Right. Um, but when I hear what, what I see is I see is like, okay, let's or, Talking about Bitcoin as if it was a weapon. Let's start talking about Bitcoin as if it was a nuclear submarine. Um, let's start talking about Bitcoin as if it's a way that we can defeat the state. Let's and, and and what I saw coming out of Jason, you know, in my mind, it's not very genuine. In fact, I, I think there's a strategy behind it because the government doesn't um, need a low-level intelligence agent to tell them a story about uh, how Bitcoin can be part of their um, national defense strategy. In fact, um, if it, 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 I think what's more likely is um, when I hold the signals of the security state re-calibrating um, on American citizens and recalibrating on conservatives, and I think of uh, NATO um, saying that article five will be triggered for cyber. And then I also look at this intelligence agent saying, yeah, Bitcoin is a cyber weapon used to um, uh, disenfranchise the state and and Bitcoin is digital force, right? And we're all just, you know, digital jihadis buying Bitcoin, right? To me, Part of me thinks that what that's doing is trying to take over the Bitcoin narrative and make it about force, and, and um, I reject that because I think Bitcoin is saving. Saving is speech. Speech is not violence. In fact, I've heard that before: speech is violence. That—that's a free space maximalist point of view. Um, so, anytime someone's saying speech is violence, you have to reject it, and, and, and so. I, I reject the thesis of, of Jason, especially when I view it through the lens of monetary reset because here we are where they might be trying to 9-11 the internet. <laughs> they might be trying to you know, blow the whistle and say, oh, cyber pandemic. And now there's a war on cyber terrorists, which is what does that mean? And um, oh, and, and the exact same time, you have the whole Bitcoin space saying, "Yeah, Bitcoin is digital force, right?" <laughs> yeah, and and so we should reject that because saving is not force. Um, saving is not violence. Um, if if I if if, a, a, if if a worker labors and saves his sacrifice in a way that it disenfranchises the parasitism of rent seekers, that's not violence. That's justice, okay? And and so Bitcoin, you know, saving is not violence. Bitcoin is self-defense, right? Um, The walls on your house are not violent. They prevent other people from coming in. If that feels like violence to a robber or someone who's gonna come in and kill you, Then that is justice. That's not violence. And in the same way, if citizens saving their time in Bitcoin feels like violence to someone that wants to steal their time, well, then that's justice. That's not, you know, that's not digital force. That's, that's merely natural law being enforced in a way that, yes, now the government must ask. It must, it must get the, it must get the, uh, the buy-in. It must voluntarily um, earn its keep, and so um, you know we we talk about the cyber pandemic, and 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 I had lots of plugs wondering why I wasn't jumping in favor of of that framing, and it's because um, I think it's just supremely you know why radicalize Bitcoin this close to the supercycle? Why radicalize it this close to monetary reset? You know, do you remember when? Um, gold holders were demonized when we around 1971 when we were removed off the the gold standard
0: mm-hmm.
1: right oh you're a hoarder
0: Hoarder, yeah you they, they were
1: they in were, 1931
0: probably even more acutely in 1931 or in the executive order
1: right so yeah that's correct so why why demonize bitcoiners this close to monetary reset you gotta wonder um why radicalize the narrative and so you know, what I say is we need to keep, you know, Bitcoin is for individuals. It's for families. It's for nations. It's wholesome. It's not, it's, it's, it's about defense. It's not about offense. It never has been. And, and so we need to reject any framing that says Bitcoin is a weapon. It's, it's cyber force. It's digital warfare, you know, because does that mean we're all digital soldiers? You know, no, that's a very bad game.
0: Yeah, just lean into opt-in. It's an opt-in system. A now, um, you're being what,
1: I will say, what I will say to Jason, because um, I, I don't know the individual. And, and if his motives are pure, what he'll do is he'll update the thesis to make it a defensive one. Um, and, he, and he will stop trying to radicalize the narrative within the Bitcoin space. He'll embrace that it's a peaceful um, revolution of non-compliance. It has nothing, you know, there is no center it's an unstoppable revolution because there is no center, there is no commanders. There is it's 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 not anything like um, anything we've seen before. It's it's certainly not a weapon. It's 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 asymmetric defense. And so, um, it, if his goal is to um, win the win the ears of the Bitcoin space, and, and then what he should do is um, update his thesis such that it doesn't radicalize the narrative yet still is compelling to his bosses which first you know which presumably need need him need his help learning about why the the government should adopt bitcoin yeah
0: Yeah, and if you think about it's funny because the other the alternative system that bitcoin's attempting to replace is more coercive and (laughs) uses considerably more force than than bitcoin ever could or has up to this point which is none and bitcoin's force is pure if it has any, it's just an economic incentive where and you have the ability to opt in to that incentive game or not. Um,
1: yeah, you know, if this was, okay, let's say this is like a Timothy May talking anarcho-capitalism and he, and he wants to have a philosophical intellectual discussion about Bitcoin being forced. force. That is a very different thing than a intelligence agent saying, come on, let's all be... Um, let's all be, you know, digital dissidents. It's just very, very different. That's what Lowry is bringing is a political narrative. And, and if you, so if you're thinking of Bitcoin in the academic narrative, okay, maybe there's a conversation there. I can warrant that, but this close to monetary reset, this close to the super cycle, there is only a political narrative. And so we should be very mindful of that. Are we going to craft, are we going to define Bitcoin by forced by um, this cyber attack on the state. Cause I don't think that's a good idea in, in, in the uh, you know, in lieu of everything else we're seeing, I think it's a very, it's supremely bad idea.
0: No, I tend to agree. Yeah. You can't give anybody who would like to see Bitcoin fail because it puts a, throws a wrench in the the great reset, the monetary reset, I can't give them any ammo from which to attack us and as we've been discussing it seems that the war on terror quote unquote is is turning from abroad and internally in the us Uh, there is another whether it just be white men in general conservative white men conservatives in general uh, bitcoin tends to uh, fall under the bucket of tools used by that that demographic that's being signaled out
1: Yep, and so, but if, if we come together as a space with a relentless um, messaging around Bitcoin as a defense of individuals and families time and sacrifice, I think we'll come out on the right side because uh, it's just more true. It's just far more true that a, a unbreakable safe is not a weapon, it's a safe, right? A, a, a cement wall that protects you know, your child while it's sleeping is not a weapon. Right. And so I, I think that rings more true. And I think we just stick to that and, and that'll, but, you know, again, having the lens of monetary reset allows you to connect these things and say, well, well wait a second,
0: <laughs> wait a second. here.
1: Um, and so I think, I think we'll end up on the right side of that. Um, and it, you know, it's the same thing with this extra legal treatment that terrorism uh, grants the state this this loose concept of terrorism and uh, that could be applied to certainly real world psyops but maybe even uh, the cyberspace which is terrifying um, it leads you to and a lot of plebs and mims on twitter have been wanting me to touch on this uh, genocide like uh, how, how how close are we to something like a genocide and what is the nature of that and is that something that plebs and normal people should be thinking about and you know they they have these signals where it's scaring them and 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 yeah, so
0: there's, there's that uh screenshot of like what is it eleven or seven steps of genocide. Mm-hmm.
1: That's been yeah, so- and you, yeah. you see these um people have made some clever photoshops where they show these concentration camps and instead of work will set you free in German it says vaccines will set you free and um you know there's real uh, fear. In in the space and out there about this, and my my thinking on it is is, well, you, you just want to understand um, the nature of genocide and how it happens, and then you can contrast where we are now, and 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 so I think the way to dispel that fear is just to learn about genocide and and know that it's not you know. Um, it is tangible. You can wrap your arms around it and understand it, and and that puts you in a place where you can measure where we are in relation to the to the actual um, occurring. And, and the chart you mentioned is, is a is a good one because it, it shows you that you know if it is going to happen, that we're closer towards the end than the beginning of the, those type of events. Um, but it's also important to know that um, you know, like in World War II when genocide happened, um. Yeah, when you when you learn about this in school, you tend to think of it as like an atomic event, like it all happens at once um, and the same thing with like the Soviet Union communism, you tend to think of it. It's like all at once. But a, a key part about genocide is that they're slow. They're really slow. They're slow enough that um, it's almost like uh, boiling a frog in water. If you boil a frog and water too hot, it'll jump out. And if, it, if it's too cool, it'll take too long but there's a sweet spot where the frog won't know it's being boiled alive and genocide is kind of like that if they go too fast people will get out of it and if they go too slow um well it, it won't happen and so there's a sweet spot and so that that's how you want to think about you you want to try and gauge the pace um and, and in order to determine is it happening when when could something like that happen and also the extent right like um uh in world war ii like so in germany and soviet russia it's like they were large they were massive but when you but the world is large and massive and they weren't all encompassing so there was a, a segment of people that were rifled into these things and, and didn't opt out sort of speak even with all the warnings um, or maybe had no choice um, and then there was a large segment of people who opted out who saw who saw who made moves right and so that's also important to think about and, and that that to a certain degree you, you have the ability to kind of look plainly and step away from these things and so i i try and bring that to the thinking and um but i think more importantly it's it's just like malthusian fear spells there's a rhythm and a um a formula for how these things happen and you can see them in 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 all previous genocide and i think the the number one um uh, uh indicators collective uh, victimhood. Um, so, if, if you take like a a society and you convince them that they are a victim of some uh, extreme injustice, and that they, and then you torment them with the idea of that victimhood, and and you apply pain to them, and then they believe it's coming from this oppressor, then at some point they will sign off on the. The final solution, which is like, okay, we're finally ready. We're going to break the chains, and we're going to do whatever needs to be done to break free of this oppressor. Of this oppressor that's causing us all this anguish, and and so um, some people rightfully called out uh, Black Lives Matter in 2020 as having the notes of this. Right, it's okay. We are being. This inequality is oppressing us to the degree that we are being persecuted, and um, the the pain level is so high that we're we're willing to, um, you know, we're getting to the point where we need to shake everything up to bring in a solution. And and people are right that it had the notes of that, but it didn't have it didn't have the follow through. It didn't have the pace, and the air kind of got sucked out of it as we switched into the COVID shift. So so. Um, It's important to call out that everything that has the notes of genocide doesn't necessarily uh, turn into that. But you could go to like World War II and you could say, okay, um, after World War I, um, the people, the German citizenry were completely, um, uh, they were demoralized. Hyperinflation had completely robbed them of their future and their savings and their retirement, so they were absolutely poor, and they were losers. They lost the war, so they were losers on top of it, and they didn't have any hope for the future. And um, but it didn't affect the German uh, uh, citizenry equally. There was a there was a a segment of society that had insulated themselves from a lot of the pain. Uh, that they all went through. And so in that moment of vulnerability, a an, a powerful orator united them in collective victimhood, told them a story about how they were a victim, gave them an enemy, and then they cheered on, you know, finally doing what had to be done to eliminate the enemy so that they could get on without being an op- oppressed uh, a group anymore. And of course, that led to the um, uh, the genocide in World War II with the Jews. And, and and so you might look at that and say, well, wow, as a kid, I just assumed German people were evil, right? But what really was happening was uh, they had a psychological vulnerability that we all do, which is to say we're prone to victimhood. And when you take a whole society and you give them a shared victimhood experience, um, you can create a genocide. And... and um, now, what was true? What, what what's really critical to this is the the story you tell them needs to have truths in it, right? Mm-hmm. So it was true. It was true that um, that bankers hyperinflated the currency, right? But what was not true about it? They what, what 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 the German people didn't know was that the bankers partnered with the state to do it. The bankers didn't act by themselves. It was a marriage, right? So the state helped. <laughs> the state helped impover the people, um, but that wasn't for the victimhood story, that wasn't part of it, right. Um, And and, and so, you know, you could see how a people could be demonized and be made a scapegoat or what have you. Um, And and you could take that same formula, and you could move to the Soviet Union, and you could say, okay, um, there was rampant poverty and and, uh, starvation. And, um, and uh, there was also a lot of wealth in the Soviet Union. And, they basically enjoined the people in collective victimhood and their suffering and created a an enemy out of a bad guy out of uh, the productive class. And of course, there was some truth to that because within the productive class, there were cronies, cronies who were parasitic and took advantage, um, used usury and what have you, and entrapped people. So, of course, there was, there was truth to it. Um, but what they didn't say was that all the good things, all the wealth in that society also came from the productive class, the capitalists. And so enjoined in collective victimhood, uh, the Soviet Union decided, um, let's basically turn over the productive class and let's do what we need to to break these chains so we're no longer oppressed. And, and from that flowed genocide, okay? And so it's, it's the same story. You need to basically join a society in collective victimhood and craft an enemy that is oppressing them, uh, pain them with the ideas of that oppressorship until they're finally ready to um, uh, uh, you know, break the chains. And so um, the, the thing is, 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 so, like, okay, so how does that apply to what we're seeing now? Because people are, are trying to draw parallels and saying, yeah, we're seeing genocide. And, and maybe the question is, you know, are we seeing a covert genocide and then so who is the bad guy that you know if 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 us as a society are to be drawn into collective victimhood by what what's oppressing us and um is it is it covid is covid the bad guy right um is it anti-vaxxers who's you know is it the people that are
0: yeah it's the unvaccinated not allowing you to get back to your normal life they're oppressing your ability
1: Right. So if we create pain for the people who are now enjoined in collective victimhood, we create pain and tell them that it's because of these, this oppressor, these people that um, the segment of society that's not doing what they should be, we, we create a, a demon, we demonize them. Um, at what point will the, 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 the collective victimhood decide, you know what, we'll do anything to, to get past this problem? Any norms, any human rights that need to be broken, let's 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 get it done, and let's move forward. And and that's basically the moment when um, you have kind of like a final solution, right? It's like, oh, you know, the states have what they need; they have consent to do whatever, right? And um, of course, when you hold that signal and you think about history and you hold the signal of these quarantine camps being erected you hold the signal of um how china deals with dissidents it's basically system uh systemic systemized genocide where system uh systematically they can basically factor out people who don't get along um it's it's worrying yeah
0: they're sterilizing the users yeah right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's worrying in that sense and so um are we seeing like an overt genocide? I, I don't think so because I think the way that China does it is is it's it's systemized and it's kind of it's covert and by the time and it's 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 um people are largely in favor of it and they're still unaware that it's occurring. Right? It's out of sight, out of mind. So they they've tucked it neatly within the, the the bounds of of their authoritarianism that that it's continuous, right? It's not It's not a moment, it doesn't end, it just continually happens. And so I think what I would say is we're already seeing a genocide in China. It's just that model is the latest version of it and it's being exported to the West. Um, and folks say, okay, well, what about sterilization? What about deaths? Um, my current thesis is I, Well, on sterilization, um, we've already seen a multi-decade attack on fertility. Um, Fertility is very sensitive in the body and it doesn't, you know, pollutants and food already push the needle in terms of hormones enough to down engineer fertility um, to the degree where, you know, I think we're more likely to have a population crisis downwards than upwards um, naturally because of previous, um, uh, previous, uh, elements that have affected fertility. Uh, so vegetable oils, foods, lack of vitamin D, um, estri- estrogenics, um, uh, yeah, processed food. Um, um, and so I, I'm, I'm suspicious of like a, a big bang mass infertility, um, Uh, event because I think what's more likely they get the population on this vaccine schedule and then they can dial that down as they see fit right just a little more so you know let's say these vaccines do cause infertility at rates of like five to ten percent I think that's perfectly suitable because it stays um covert you know it doesn't have to be this big reckoning moment and so they can just dial that up or down as they see fit and and I think that that's probably more likely than a Big Bang infertility event.
0: Um, now I can't stop thinking about, um, now I'm thinking of, of children and men. And what's that other show where like the women can't have babies? Yeah. Like more conditioning well, for, for well, of these type of events and inferti- mass infertility. Yeah, I mean... The hand, no know, hand, the Handmaid's Tale. That's what I'm thinking of.
1: You know, you, yeah, I mean, you, you, one could zoom out and say, what might actually be happening is that the state knows we're heading towards a downwards population crisis already. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Japan and talking about China as having a, a population crisis, right? Like, there's not enough children; it's going to be all old people, right? that was a societal conversation we were having, right? And, um, well, if if that happened um, and and the state didn't have an answer to it, what would happen is uh, you'd have a type of economic collapse and then you would have uh, forced uh, austerity, which is to say like, we'd all have to tighten our belts to get through it. And so, um, you know, you might even say that uh, the Great Reset, attempts to answer um, a natural or natural, a engineered population crisis with um, a, a shared mission so that we can hi- you know, to fight COVID so that we can hide the forced austerity we would have other words had to live through um, if, a, if the population crisis was allowed to, um, to play out through, you know, these incredibly low uh, birth rates.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, not only is there the, the physical aspect or aspects like via like making people unhealthier via food or forced vaccines, but there's also that economic, right? Like another factor for low fertility rates in the past two decades and falling fertility rates, probably more accurately describes what I'm getting at here is, is that people, the prospect of even having a child in the first place has been so diminished that. Um, people have, again the war of attrition not being able to economically sustain themselves uh, working their asses off uh, just reduces their 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 drive to have children
1: so if you view the people that defend money printing as or they view themselves as caretakers of society then that could be a possible answer is that inevitability in terms of um, austerity and uh, population crisis and they need a, a story for society to tell itself in order to drastically pull the belt in. Um, and If the, the shape of communism that they're launching warrants itself to very small populations, I don't think there would be an overt mass death event. I think it would be uh, smarter of them to basically create more levers that they can pull to dial fertility and dial um, the amount of you know population down in a covert manner. And so for, for that reason, I, I think it's, it's more likely that we'll see things that um, are hard to put your finger on, but, uh, and, and are hard to point at, but that are happening all around us. And so um, fertility through, infertility through vaccines, I think is possible, but I don't think it'll be a big bang thing. Um, the other thing that people bring up is this, um, Uh, this ADE this uh, antibody uh, derived enhancement Um, so this this idea that uh, in Israel the the rates of COVID are all-time highs despite being the um, highest vaccinated population in the world and the people that are vaccinated are actually having uh, uh, a rougher time with the newer strains and there's papers that suggest that the vaccinations themselves are what creating this accelerated uh, adaptation by the virus into these new strains. And if that creates a feedback loop, could you see a, um, a kind of uh, mass death that way? Um, I think it's something to watch closely, um, especially if it affects people uh, with, uh, who are not vaccinated as well. Because it'll, it'll keep creating this wave after wave that spreads through the world, this never-ending pandemic, if, if that's the case. Um, but I, I think I still go back to the numbers, which is to say um, COVID is about as deadly as a flu until you're over 75. Once you're over 75, it seems to be twice as deadly as a flu, um, but it's not equally distributed across the world. For some reason, it, it applies to the West worse. The numbers in the West are far worse, and the numbers in the United States are, are the worst on the planet. And um, I, the reason for that probably has to do with metabolic health. I, in the US, we're, we're the most uh, metabolically unhealthy in the world. And um, that's actually why we're the most expensive population to ensure in the world and why um, universal health care is the least likely thing to happen here in the world. Um, because we are um, we're insulin resistant, we're, we have high systemic inflammation, we're obese. And and so I think what is possible is that if your body is spending all its time trying not to die from obesity and the American standard diet, it might uh not be able to defend itself from a strengthening seasonal influenza. Um, So, so one thing to take from that is that, um, you know, these vegetable oils, PUFAs, the staying out of the sun, this uh, high stress level from the, uh, the hysteria loop, um, all these things work to make, you know, you more likely to keel over from even the flu, you know, and if there is a a gradually strengthening COVID from ADE, then th- the lever that you have um, to resist that is just to be healthy, undo a lot of the uh, m- m- health uh, problems associated with modernity. And luckily there's very good data that shows um, simply dumping vegetable oils, getting your son, eating whole animal products, whole vegetables, um, some of these diets, like carnivore, seems to be particularly um, effective for some people. Keto seems to work really well, like Mediterranean keto for some people. Um, but, you know, we now understand how to eliminate most of these metabolic diseases in short order. So um, I think what I would say is for the average pleb who is concerned about ADE, um, you have a lever uh in terms of just making your body healthy, that would, uh, I think is fairly efficient and and you control that. So people with personal responsibility, I think can opt out. If that really is a covert um, genocide, um, uh, uh, like attack vector, I think you'll be able to just merely opt out of that with your own um, uh, decisions. Uh, But you might look at that and say, oh, is that an effective way to eliminate this kind of, this useless class? Because a lot of the, um, the globalist um, academia focuses on pruning people who don't produce value. And um, so I, I don't think I would be surprised to learn that, that these seasonal viruses were basically created by vaccines and kept strong Um, in order to act as a brush fire amongst the useless class. That wouldn't surprise me, Um, but we, we can't say, we can't say, can we?
0: Yeah. What are they referred to as useless eaters? That would, uh, yeah. Useless eaters.
1: Useless eaters. And so, so yeah, maybe ADE is real. Maybe, you know, maybe if you're 80 or you're obese and metabolically sick, uh, you're at, you're at risk um, for for action or death, and well, you can control um, if you're metabolically sick, and, and there's never been a better time than now. The levers we have for that are awesome; They're, they work quick. Um, fasting, carnivorism, um, uh, you know, lifting, getting in the sun—these type of things work very fast. Um, so, so I think that's really good news, and um, yeah. It, it, If there is kind of like a pruning of a useless eaters, it's not something that um, individuals would be able to um, uh, change. Um, uh, But I'd say it's it's worth watching closely. Um, What it does mean is that the answer uh, to that, you know, you have to choose between getting a vaccine or getting metabolically healthy, and I, I hope it goes without saying that you should just get metabolically healthy, right? Because your your immune system has developed for millions of years. Um, just treat it right, and it'll treat you right. Um, and and then just watch the ADE thing closely as as, and we'll continue to watch it because I, you know, I think there's merit there, but I, I still don't see that as a a big bang. Um. A uh, uh, mass death event, neither do I see the booster train as a big bang mass death event. I think they're completely content to dial up eating into that useless eater class if, if that is what's happening.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very level-headed view on, on that side. I hope that's the case at least, right? Um, I think we would all hope that and uh, to think that... You, Mass vaccination campaigns and the boosters are um, a concerted effort to reduce a lot of humanity that would be almost too evil to stomach. And
1: sure, I mean, and there's a certain angle that you can look at it and say, like, is it genocide if we're killing ourselves? You know, is it genocide? Like, are are they merely helping?
0: That's the other thing too, like, and I think, which is like part of the theme of what you're preaching as well is like, we need to take personal responsibility. Like there is a, 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 like a, you can blame complacency, individual complacency for getting us into the spot in the first place where we're being Mm -hmm. set up to be thrust into this monetary reset. Like the more people that take extreme ownership over, themselves and their lives and what they can control whether that be um what they eat what they drink how much they work out what tech they use what money they use um these options to preserve sovereignty are all out there and preserve your health and and they, they're on the table it's just a decision um and are you willing to take it are you willing to Exert that extreme ownership over your own life. Uh, I think, there's... yeah. If
1: you if you eliminate the victimhood from the equation and take responsibility in all these areas, I think what you learn in that journey is that um, you weren't a victim as much as you thought, and and maybe just maybe you were allowing tyrants into your life in all these ways through the food, through the the tech stack, through your money, through um, all these all the surface area you were kind of just letting hanging out there and you can take up that slack and get your house in order and realize, oh, wait a second, I I have a huge amount of control um, over this and you know, and that's why the question like, is it genocide if we're killing ourselves, right, if we're chugging back vegetable oil, knowing that it causes the type of inflammation that would create obesity and prevent our our immune system from uh, uh, fighting off seasonal uh, viruses right so uh, it's something to think about. And, and from, the Mal, you know, from the Malthusian wizards point of view, like you could also imagine them being like, listen, if, if, if you, you, could, you could recognize the point of view of a brush fire, right? Like, hey, if, if these things are out there and people are willingly doing them, and, and like, you know, how is that our responsibility? And so like, there is a bit of a, it takes two to tango right? There is, there is responsibility on both ends. And, and I think people need to have that kind of extreme ownership point of view.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Take more control of your lives, freaks. That's why, sure. I mean, I think Bitcoin is a, a shining beacon of, of a tool through it that allows you to do that. I think you would agree. And with that being said, I think this is where we should stop this particular conversation. We made it halfway through your list. You have 10 points here. We've made it through five. And this is a a perfect place to stop. And we can pick this up next week, the week after, um, and and keep growing on this conversation that started last month.
1: Yeah, I think we're due for a part three. Um, We'll get into all the fun stuff in terms of the who behind the Malthusian Wizards, who, who defends money printing, the why, you know, why even enslave humanity? I have a lot of thoughts there. And then finally, and the most exciting part is the battle for the, the battle for this next long cycle. Like, will it be this global communism or will it be this decentralized um emergent revolution and, and, and I'll talk through the type of things you can do to um, take sovereignty into your own hands and, you know, and opt out at every layer in your own life.
0: Yes. Um, I'm looking at what we're going to talk about next time and it's only gets better from here. Freaks. I'm more optimistic now after the last part of the conversation here. Maybe it's, you know, like, maybe it's like, we just need to take extreme ownership.
1: You know, it's funny, it's, I, I go to these places and they're kind of dark, and I try and bring a lot of thoughtful to, thoughtfulness to it, um, but I'm I'm an extreme optimist because I, I see that most of this is in our hands. When you put your hands on it and you break it down and talk about it, yeah, there's some points that are kind of dark, kind of scary, but it's not that bad. Once you have it in your hands, the fear spell really is broken. You can talk about it plainly, calmly, and then you can actually um, navigate Um, In relation to that, you can move away and empower yourself. And and so, um, you know, even though we go there, I'm generally like optimistic and and I'm like a very excited uh, uh, pleb.
0: Me as well. Me as well. I hope you freaks are too. You plebs are too. We're going to pick this up. Uh, Let us know what you think about this episode, this ongoing conversation that we're having. What what else do you want to hear? I mean, I, bear, I, I feel like I'm barely even bringing anything to the table here. What else do you want to hear from from Laser? Let us know. Um, Laser, as always. Whereas, as was the first time, this time was incredible as well. Looking forward to, to finishing this conversation.
1: Thank you, Freaks. We'll do it again soon.
0: All right. That's all we got. Peace and love. Take care.